This is Jane Smith reporting for WASP News. We report so you don't have to decide. Now, we're live outside of Sovereign Studios, where a protest has been taking place. Uh, sir, sir, what is going on here? We're going to put an end to his godless hedonism. He's corrupting the entire planet. Uh, you must be talking about the golden stallion of the tech world, Brian Sovereign. That's right. That sex fiend of an anarchist has crossed the line. We're going to rip his triple black clothing and then him to shreds. But Brian Sovereign believes in nonviolence. We don't care. He wants to end government and wants to pervert science and technology to do it. Brian Sovereign has to be stopped. This just in. Brian Sovereign is coming out of the studio. Stallion, the man of tomorrow, Savzu, the rated R radio star, here for this week's Sovereign Tech. And baby, I got to tell you, this is actually, this one's going to be a little special, a little unique, a little different, because I'm actually recording whoo, from a hotel room. <laughs> now, there was actually, things were going to be taking place during this episode, uh, but well, anyway, got laid, plans changed, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> <laughs> but there could there would have been guests it would have been very interesting but anyway whatever we'll we'll save that for another time because you know people are always welcome to come to the bdsm studios of course it's brian's dungeon sex and magic Woo! and they can get on this show and we can talk about all the hottest tech news the hot everything because we like to keep it hot on this show and baby we've got stuff to talk about we got quite a bit to talk about but you're not going to hear the, the intros won't be in this episode so i'll get that out of the way that maybe that may maybe some people can uh, actually play this on their loudspeakers and their kids don't hear it or something because <laughs> i know that happens a lot Woo! but uh <laughs> um but there won't be any intros uh won't be getting too much into the segments got a bunch of different stuff that i want to talk about a lot of interesting little stories um there are some big stories of course one in particular that being uh equifax that i will not be getting into this week because i want to this is something where okay if we're going to talk about it Let's not go into panic mode. I'm not saying it's not bad. It was bad. All right. It is bad. But let's talk about just exactly. I mean, you know, let's really break it down. And when these stories happen, you do. You get, I mean, yeah, we're talking about oh, what, 143, 143 million people's, you know, uh, uh, data. And I mean, and it's a wide variety of data about these people, it, you know, was effectively out there on the loose. I mean, but 
you want to get your details straight with this one before you start running mouths and saying, oh, be this, 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 blame this, do this, blah, blah, blah. Should we put it on the blockchain? Well, fuck no. Okay. But I mean, but that's, that's how you want this really, you know, to work out. Okay. So we're not talking about that this week. We'll probably get into a much deeper dive on that uh, next week. There are other stories that I want to get into that are, you know, pretty much just as huge. What happened with Tiger Swan? Did you, did anybody catch that? No, because Equifax probably blew that all right out of the water as far as being discussed, but it's just as big a story. Okay. But I want to sit on those a little bit. Maybe we'll get into Tiger Swan in this episode. I'm not sure. Uh, but that was also a major, major, uh, well, potential major data leak. So anyway, but I have other stuff that I want to talk about, but, but before I get into all of that, I know, I know what you're going to say, Stallion, you've been opening up every show with this. Well, I'm going to do it again, okay? Because I know that the thousands and thousands of list of Sovereign Tech listeners out there, I know a lot of you are not on board with this yet. You want to sign up for the Sovereign Tech newsletter for a lot of reasons, okay? But one of them being, there's so many stories that I don't get to cover on this show that end up in the Sovereign Tech newsletter, and I give my bit of commentary on it, as well as I share links within it. You know, in fact, I want to talk about the links thing in a second. Okay, but um, we've got that. Then there's, but yeah, you get all those stories, you get videos, there's even like documentaries that I link to, or I mean, that you can watch right in the email. That's, you know, YouTube embed. Uh, there's the, the short fiction, there's cool shit that you can buy. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff in the sovereign tech newsletter. I've had way too many people and I mean it. I've had a lot of people tell me it's the best newsletter they've ever read that they've ever seen. They love it. There's the sovereign universe short fiction that's in that comes out every couple weeks. Next week will be the next issue. You want to be on board with this. Just go to zog.email and you can sign up. Okay, it's right at the, you cannot miss with the sign. I mean, like, it's the main reason I have that fucking page is so that you can just go there and you can sign up for this newsletter. Now, one of the impo- other important reasons to sign up for it is that really, if, you know, the shit ever hits the fan or something with some of, you know, my sites or, you know, whatever, something happens with the podcast feed, whatever, email is the one of the surefire ways to be able to, to reach people and get in touch with people. And if I have your email address, I'm not going to give it to third parties. I'm not going to give it to anybody else. But if I have it, it's one of the I can get in touch with you no matter what happens, because they can't shut down email. And no, they can't. I mean, they could shut down, you know, individual addresses here and there, but they can't shut it down across the board. It's just too integrated into the system. And it's a federated technology anyway. And we could just pop it right back up. Okay, so you want you know, if you want to get working on that decentralized future, well, you know, email can still be a part of that. And hell, let's have Sovereign Tech connect that way. It's it's my favorite way to communicate with people. So it's not just about the newsletter. It's also about, like, you know, keeping you abreast of the latest and greatest in what's happening and any changes that are occurring in the in, with Sovereign Tech and the Sovereign Universe in general, really. So anyway, so please do sign up for that. But you know what? I'm going to I'm going to take a little sidetrack here. OK. I want to talk about the links thing. Now, I can kind of tell somewhat in, say, like with the newsletter, but also with the podcast, I can kind of tell how many people will will actually click on the links. We'll do a click through, um, you know, say from SoundCloud or wherever else. And it's it's almost zero that people will actually follow the link and go and read stories for themselves as far as sovereign tech goes. Okay. As far as like all the things that I put in the show notes and I spend, honestly, I spend a fair amount of time, you know, setting up the show notes. Now 
I, I don't require people to actually read the entire stories for themselves. Often enough, I'll read the entire story or at least I'll read, you know, three or four paragraphs out of it. Okay. But I just find it kind of funny. The whole reason, I mean, I could save myself a ton of time if I didn't do, uh, you know, show notes. Okay. And the reason, the reason that I do them is, but I guess, I, I guess what I'm saying is I, cause look, I don't require anybody. I mean, I don't care if you never want to click on the links, don't click on the links. Like it, it actually doesn't mean a whole lot to me. It doesn't bother me. I mean, this sounds like I'm nitpicking or like being mad at my listeners or something and I'm not, but I thought, I mean, the reason that I put the links in there, the reason, and in fact, also, I mean, I, I also at times will get complaints about, you know, oh, you're reading too much of the story and all this stuff. And, and it's like, well, wait a minute. No, I'm doing that. I'm sharing the links or I'm reading from it to some degree to show that I'm not just making this stuff up. And because in, you know, varying, you know, social circles, communities that I happen to uh, frequent and hang out with, I thought that these things were kind of important. And it, I, I mean, it's been this way for years and I'm kind of, it sort of leads me to think what I've been thinking for a while that really, even the people that say, no, you got to cite your sources. You've got to verify this. Uh, we need to know that it's coming from, you know, an actual news story, blah, 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 blah. You know, these kind, or, you know, you gotta be, it has to be logic. You gotta back it up with three. So, you know, all the, th these kinds of people, I'm inclined to believe that people that make those sorts of claims Often enough, and I'm not saying everybody's that way because I want you to have evidence when you make a claim to me. I want to see a lot of evidence, but I'm starting to believe that a lot of those people, they just say that to like toss out, you know, people that they disagree with so that that way they can either insult their sources or, you know, if they can't bring up sources, they say, well, you don't have sources, so get out of here. So like, I, I really, I don't think people actually want evidence. I think they just, they just want, you know, to be able to stick with their worldview and what they think is right and wrong based upon the traumas um, that they're still expressing later on in their life. I mean, I, I, I know it's a small thing. It's just links, right? I mean, and, and maybe people just don't care. I don't know. I mean, when I listen to other podcasts, oh yeah, I fucking, I look at the, when it's a story that I actually give a shit about. And I assume you give a shit about some of the stories that I talk about. That's why there's thousands of people listening to this show. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I absolutely go through, I, you know, I mean, I don't do, you know, show notes to the length of, say, like Steve Gibson, if you, you know, with security now, he has entire PDF files. I mean, I don't know how much time he spends on that. Like in every point that he wants to make, you know, he, he like he writes out on that and he lays out the specifics and everything. I mean, it's nothing less than remarkable. I read every single one. You know, because like I want to know and, and I want to know that he knows what he's talking about. And there's times where he gets called out and he's wrong and he admits it. And it's a beautiful thing. You know, I mean, when someone can admit that they're wrong, because that is far too rare in this world. And it's certainly far too rare for podcasts. Um, I, I just I find it I find it fascinating that there are so many people who complain about, oh, well, prove it. Where's your source? Blah, blah, blah. And then when you actually give people sources and they still disagree with you. Or not that they still disagree with you. Like, I can tell. There's no way that that the amount of people that disagree with me on shit are actually bat reading what I, you know, reading the stories that I share and looking at the information that I source. I just find it very fascinating. It's just, just a side note. Again, I really, I don't care if you, if you never, you'd never, ever have to even look at the show notes. You never have to click on a single link. I don't give a shit. I mean that. And I'm not saying that in a mean way. I just, I really don't care. I'm just saying, I find it ironic that for people who are supposedly, you know, the, the, uh, uh, I don't know the, the Liberty or the intellectual version or the, you know, the, 
what's the term? I don't know. I don't want to say the atheist version or whatever of the Bereans. If you don't know the story of the Bereans out of the Bible, of course, I'm an atheist, you know, but whatever. I know. I know my Bible, uh, <laughs> you know, like the Bereans where they checked every word that Paul said, according to the ancient scriptures. Right. Uh, you know, that's something out of the New Testament. You know, I mean, for people that claim that that's how you have to be and that's what they do. It doesn't appear to ever fucking happen. You know, I just I find it interesting. So anyway, that is not what I really wanted to talk about. Um, But but there it is. So anyway, yeah, do sign up for the newsletter, of course, at ZOG dot email. You don't have to click on the links, but they're there. Okay, (laughs) I I just find it interesting that nobody really seems to use them. Yet, if I didn't have show notes, people would freak the fuck out. And, And and like they have, because I remember in the past, I've had a couple episodes where I forgot to put in the show notes. This is like early Sovereign Tech and people just freaked out. But there's no evidence that that most people are even clicking through to these links. So what the hell do you just like say, OK, well, he's got his source. I'm fine. And they don't actually want to check it out. I, I just don't get it. But whatever. So, yeah, I, I think people really I think most people, even people that believe in, say, like, you know, really serious intellectual, I don't want to use the term intellectual self-defense because people think I'm talking about a group that I'm not, but people that are really big on, you know, wanting logic and evidence and backing up their statements and everything doesn't appear that you, you actually like really engage in that very often. And you're really just more interested in, you know, in, in pushing your own worldviews, you know, and, 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 yeah, this this could get into a huge conversation around algorithms and how the Internet really divides people instead of bringing them together. Not that I'm saying there's necessarily anything wrong with that, but yeah, that that happens. So anyway, um, maybe maybe that's a conversation we can have in the future. I think that's a very important uh, thing to talk about, especially like with social media and all that. Uh, all right. So let's talk about. Uh, well, you know, before I get into some other subjects, um, the reason that you're actually hearing me from a hotel is because I am not just me. Of course, the lovely and hyper intelligent Dr. Stephanie Murphy is with me. Uh, we are at the Free Coast Festival, which is a uh, liberty oriented event that happens in uh, Portsmouth in uh, in New Hampshire. So. And yeah, so it's been going since, let's see, today is I'm recording this on September 9th and it started last night on September 8th um, and it's going into tomorrow, Sunday, which would be, of course, if you're listening to this on the day of recording, which you actually won't be able to because it probably won't come out till later Saturday night, (laughs) but (laughs) there's some shop talk for you. But anyway, um, yeah, so it runs to the 10th. There's going to be a big, it's a big entrepreneurial event um, on, on Sunday, the 10th, but, uh, it's, it's actually been a great time. So the, the previous night on Friday night on the eighth, uh, there was, they had a pig roast where, you know, people just got together and had some amazing food and boy, was it amazing food. It was awesome. Uh, got to hang out with some amazing people, got to hang out with pixel Paige Peterson, had some great conversations with her, uh, got to hang out. Uh, of course, I, I mean, all, in fact, uh, somebody who has been instrumental in setting all this up and who's really just been, I mean, a, a guy I just consider an absolute sweetheart. Him, I mean, and his wife, they're, they're both phenomenal. But uh, but Roger Paxton, uh, I mean, he, of course, the Lava Flow podcast and uh, also a Sovereign Tech sponsor, uh, the Resist the Empire podcast. Um, he, he's been, you know, really making a lot of the <laughs> a lot of this, you know, go round and round. 
Uh, and he did the same for Porkfest as well, which we did the we did a live show from Porkfest. So this isn't a live recording. Yeah, I mean, this is from, you know, I'm, I'm at the event, but this isn't like a live recording from the event like it was at Porkfest. So anyway, but it's been really cool. Uh, and it's just all it is. It, you know, it's it's something centered around around the Portsmouth area, around what they call the seacoast in New Hampshire, which, of course, I live in the geographic area known as New Hampshire. Uh, and it, in, in the seacoast, there's there's a very I don't want to say tight knit, but there's there's a community. There's a you know, a, yeah, there's a pretty good gathering of libertarian and anarchist types and all that. And, and just, you know, really, really nice people, really wonderful. And it's so cool to be able to hang with them. This is the first, this is like the fourth one. This is the fourth uh, Free Coast Festival. Uh, this is the first one that I've been to out of those four. Uh, but it was, it's really been something. Uh, again, the food the previous night and the conversation was fantastic. Uh, today, that being Saturday the 9th, um, there was awesome, awesome talks. Uh, in fact, I went to, so don't worry, we're going to, we're going to get into tech news here. But, uh, but I went to, so, when we read the, you know, the, the guide, the, the program for the event, okay, it said that the talks would be at uh, what was called Stone Church, okay, in New Hampshire. And, you know, it, like that's the name of the building. And so I thought this morning, I was like, oh, it's going to be at a church, okay, because I, I, you know, this area, I haven't really been too much. I, I don't know it that well. It's a beautiful area of New Hampshire. Of course, what area of New Hampshire isn't fucking gorgeous? Uh, I mean, this is, you know, no matter what time of year you're here, it's just one of the most beautiful places on planet Earth. Um, but I was like, okay, so I guess we're having it in a church. You know, that was kind of you know what I thought it would be. But when we get there, turns out it's like a converted, it's an old, you know, an old New England church, but it's been converted into a bar slash restaurant. And okay, so, <laughs> but I didn't know that. So what I did was I had on, and in fact, if you're like in the Sovereign Tech, um, if you're in the Sovereign Tech Uncensored Facebook group, or I think I've shared it on Twitter, I'm pretty sure I've shared it on Instagram as well. Um, I did, I wore my, uh, you know, I have a shirt, a black shirt with like unicorn, with a unicorn on it. And it has uh, has the all seeing eye and the pyramid on it. And then it says hail Satan. But like with all the all the wild, like pink kind of I mean, it's a black shirt, of course, because that's all I wear. But with all like the wild colors and the rainbows and the unicorn on it, you wouldn't expect it to like have, quote unquote, you know, and I say I put it in quotes, evil imagery or, you know, an evil message with it. Right. Because it says hail Satan. I was like, well, I'm going to church. I'll wear my hail Satan shirt. Right. <laughs> And I wore it, but it ended up, well, actually, these people probably would have said hail Satan with me. And in fact, a lot of them did all day long today. I've been getting getting compliments on that shirt. They just loved it. And it's funny. Even the little kids, I, I felt kind of bad about that. Even the little kids are like, oh, we love your unicorn shirt. And I don't think they could read or they didn't pay enough attention that it said hail Satan right underneath the unicorn. <laughs> so anyway, um, so, yeah, at the um, at Stone Church. There were quite a few talks given um, that were all of them. Well, most of them were, were very good. Uh, actually, Hannah Brame of becomingwhoyouare.net, uh, who I, I think is just tremendous. Uh, she gave a great talk about uh, the entrepreneurial mindset, which I actually like. She, in fact, it was, it was interactive. She gave out like worksheets and everything, and she just had tremendous things to say. Uh, I I'm assuming all of this was recorded and that that it'll be you know released later on. Because that that talk was one of the one of the really really impressive talks. Uh, I got a lot out of it myself. So um, listen to that. That that was really cool. Uh, you know, and, and it was just great to kind of hang out. I mean, there's so many people. You know, when you're in New Hampshire, you you kind of when you 
when you're part of what's known as the Free State Project, okay, if you don't know about that, please just go to freestateproject.org. It would take too long for me to really, like, explain it. But it's all about liberty-minded people kind of getting together within New Hampshire. So, but, you know, you have a community here, and you sort of know everybody. So it's almost like a family reunion whenever one of these events happen. And it was really nice to, you know, to kind of meet up with, uh, with a bunch of people, even though a lot of them, I didn't know who they were. I mean, I just, you know, and I've lived here now almost six years. It'll be six years, October 28th, 2011. Um. And and I was just amazed at how many people I had no idea. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's how many that's how many liberty minded people are um, are here. And there's people who hadn't heard of me and not not to like blow to my own horn or anything. But I was just I don't know. <laughs> I was kind of surprised. <laughs> but whatever. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's so many different elements like there's so many people have so many different concepts of what's liberty for them. So so I get that again, folks, don't worry, we'll get into tech here in a minute. I know this is a tech show. Believe me, I know it better than anybody. I created it. So anyway, um, so all the, the talks of Stone Church, that was nice. Uh, and then after that, we ended we went on a cruise around some of the various islands, more particularly that belong to quote unquote, belong to the state of Maine. Uh, but I mean, it was a beautiful, beautiful cruise. It was very, very nice, you know, just a simple boat. I mean, it wasn't like, you know, this wasn't Royal Caribbean or something, uh, but it didn't need to be, nor would I have wanted it to be, you know, it was just a, you know, nice one of the, I mean, I, I remember, you know, years ago, like I'd go on these kind of lake cruises, like on Racket Lake and some other places. And, you know, you just have this nice boat with a bar, you know, with like a bar on it, whatever. Of course I would get Diet Coke, uh, but yeah, that was really nice. And then uh, a previous someone who has been a guest on Sovereign Tech in the past, and I hope to have him on as a guest again in the future. Uh, somebody that I also consider a great friend, uh, my Jake DeSillis of the Voluntary Life podcast. Uh, he was actually he he was the keynote speaker for the whole event, and he gave a phenomenal phenomenal talk that was all about you know really like how to something that I talk about often on Sovereign Tech, particularly on the Sovereign Tech Patreon episodes. That was all about like, you know, OK, how do you live anarchism right now? How do you live voluntarily, you know, the, the voluntarist life of some kind? You know, how do you live that right now? What can you do to make that happen in your life? You know, this this second, which is something I say all the time that, you know, not, you can get like 99 percent of the way there to living that way. You just you know, you might have to alter some ways that you live and, and, and varying things. Uh, and you might still have to pay a tax somewhere here and there. But by and large, you can really start living that very free lifestyle. And Jake's one of those guys that absolutely practices what he preaches. That's why I listen to him because he knows what the fuck he's talking about and he lives it. Uh, so that would, that was awesome. And it was just great to see him kind of get the respect, you know, of, Hey, this guy has done it. This guy's doing it. This guy, you know, can deliver. Let's give him a platform. They gave him a platform. And I, you know, I just, I thought it was a fantastic talk. Uh, that was really cool. So, and the cruise was just really nice being out on the water. You know, I mean, it was, was phenomenal. Saw some really interesting. If you've never seen a sunfish before, look that shit up. Okay, go, <laughs> really, go to DuckDuckGo. Look up a sunfish. These things are fucking weird. Like, it really, it looks like, it looks like kind of like the, the fish you drew as a kid and, like, your parents couldn't understand what the fuck you, <laughs> like, 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 oh, what's that supposed to be, little Johnny? It's a fish, mommy. And you're like, oh, yeah, of course I see it. Well, look up a sunfish because that's exactly what it looks like. It looks like a bad drawing that a kid made up. You know, <laughs> it's, no, I mean, well, bad is, you know, it's kind of judgy, but you know what I mean. Damn, I mean, that was, that was crazy. So 
Anyway, the part of the event that as of recording this that hasn't happened yet is on Sunday, which is kind of the entrepreneurial workshop sort of day and all that, which I'm looking forward forward to that. And I think all of that's really great because you really can. You know, I I mean, the 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 opportunities and I'm not saying entrepreneurships for everybody. It's you know, it may not be okay because it's a risky thing to do. It's a ballsy thing to to do. I mean, it, it, it really like it's not for everyone. And that's okay. You know, there are alternatives to, you know, living a, a freer lifestyle than entrepreneurship. So, uh, you know, but I, I mean, I'm very interested in entrepreneurship. And right now, I think that this is a rare time. In, and, and this wasn't necessarily talked about, you know, at all during the event. But I think we live in a very rare time where an individual, like a singular person, and, and I've talked about this. This is one of the goals that I want technology and software and whatever else, you know, to really lead towards where a person can be, you know, a, a one a one person economy, you know, one man economy, one woman economy, one day economy. And what I mean by that. Is that you can produce, you know, you, you can just be this this production machine, this entrepreneurial machine. And in many ways, you can do it all on your own. You know, you don't need anybody. You don't need to hire employees. You don't need to do any of that. And you can do the most amazing things completely on your own. You know, this week I released um, on the YouTube channel. I haven't put it up on Bandcamp yet. Uh, I put it on Patreon that uh, that way the Sovereign Tech patrons. And if you want to become one, just go to SovereignTech.com. Um, I put it up on on their page or on, on my on my Patreon page where you could download it. Um, I released because I, I have another audio of the ancients album coming out. I've, I've already had, t- I've released two in the past and I've had two other ones that I've been working on for, you know, over like almost two years. I've been working for a while on them, but anyway, they should come out pretty quickly one after the other. Uh, but there's a track of music and I, I make my own music. It's ambient music. I use FL studio for it. Okay. Uh, there's, there's a track that I was like, you know, I'm not going to, I don't think I'm going to use this. So, but why don't it, you know, I love, I, I, I love what I did. You know, I love my creation. And so why don't I just unleash it to everybody and I'll end up putting it up. You know, I'll put it up as like a single on my Bandcamp page for audio. Of the ancients. Anyway, if you want to get those albums, audio, the ancients dot X, Y, Z. Okay. That's the URL that'll take you to my Bandcamp page, which I've had for years now. Uh, I love making my own music. That's a real honor to do, but look, look, I'm not the most, I mean, I, I know music. I am very knowledgeable about music. Okay. I love music. But I'm not exactly the person. I mean, I played the violin growing up, but I'm not like, you know, I, I wouldn't really consider myself a musician. I wouldn't put myself, you know, in any kind of, uh, you know, anywhere near, you know, the ranges. You know, I'm, I'm not, of course, who the fuck is. I'm not Eddie Van Halen. Right. <laughs> I mean, I'm just like I'm not that like inclined in that way. But, you know, certain styles of music I can really appreciate. And I enjoy making that music. And I've been doing this, actually, this aspect of making music, I've been doing it forever. I used to do it, there was on the PlayStation 1, way back, we're talking in the 90s, uh, MTV came out with what was called MTV Music Generator. Now, this was really popular. In fact, they came out with a sequel to it for uh, for the PlayStation 2. I thought the sequel kind of sucked. But I'll tell you a little story about this, and then I'll, I'll get back into my point about the one-person economy that technology allows you to be, Okay. Uh, I like, I, I put this, what you would do is you'd put it, you know, you'd it'd be like three or four discs and like a couple of the other discs would have various samples that if you needed to retrieve it, you know, to, to make your sound, you could do that. And 
the biggest problem with this game, and it was really wasn't just a game. It was a music generator. You, you could choose samples and like put them together to make a song, but you could also get really nitty gritty and you could make your own, um, you know, like you could control right down to the notes of what you were doing. And this is my, this was my first foray. This would have been 1998, something like that. 98, 99, maybe it was 99 when I was doing this. Okay. Uh, with, with MTV music generator on my PlayStation one. Um, the, one of the big problems with it was that it took up a ton of space on your memory card. This is when memory cards were, were a thing. <laughs> All right. <laughs> with the PlayStation one, they absolutely were. They were with the PlayStation two as well. Uh, even though that finally allowed for a hard drive to some degree, but anyway, so I, I, you know, I use MTV music generator and I would make, I've probably told this story before somewhere because I was so proud of this sound because everybody was like, wow, that was really impressive. Like I could actually make an electric guitar, do things with my PlayStation controller. And, and it made the sound. I'll, I'll just try to emulate a little bit. It would just go down dun, dun, like that. Like that's it. Everything I just did down dun, dun. like I made that. And I thought it was the most amazing fucking thing. <laughs> right? And I did that on my PlayStation one. Uh, so, so yeah, so, so MTV music generator, like this kind of software where it allows you to do it, not that you have to learn how to play the instrument, but if you just have some understanding of the music itself, I mean, it takes you, I mean that just making that little sound that I just described, it took me like an entire night. Like I was just fucking around for hours and hours and hours one night and I made that. Uh, but that, you know, that kind of got me started on this whole thing. And then, you know, you get to the point where with FL Studio and if you have some understanding of notation, whatever else and, and you know, in software. Yeah, you can you can make your own your own uh, songs. Maybe I'll put a link to it in the show notes, but you can just go to my YouTube channel. You can listen to uh, I titled the track Lost Knowledge. It says Audio of the Ancients Lost Knowledge. And you can listen to it right there. And, and you, you know, if you think it's shit, you can tell me if you think it's a, you know, great, which most people that's been the response that have listened to it. Awesome. I'm glad. Uh, so I had a lot of fun doing that. But here's my point is that I make video games. I make music. I write books. Of course, I have the Dark Android book, right? Darkandroid.info. I make a podcast. Um, you know, I do I do the newsletter. Uh, what else do I do? I mean, <laughs> I, and I have other things that I'm cooking. I make love. I make love? Whoa. <laughs> wow. Okay. Well, you just heard the lovely and hyper-intelligent Dr. Stephanie Murphy there. Um, yes, I do make love. <laughs> I don't, well, I mean, there's nothing wrong with getting paid for doing that. Woo. Uh, but anyway, I mean, there's so many things that I do. I, now I have the t-shirts out there. I mean, there's, there's, there's tons of shit. And that's the thing is that like one person can really create an entire, I hate to use this term, but a media empire. You can be a one person media empire. You know, you can make all the music, you can make videos, you could make movies, you could make comic books. I've been working on that for a while now. There's software that allows me to make comic books and I can't draw a straight fucking line. You understand? That's what I'm saying is that it's, I mean, the, the entrepreneurial opportunities today are fucking unheard of. And it is a very unique time. If you have just a fairly decent laptop, probably running windows 10. Let's be honest. Okay. If you want to really create Apple is not the place to be anymore. Okay. And just ask Apple fans. They'll tell you that too. Um, I mean, really the reason most people have apples is because, you know, their parents got them for them for college and all right, I'm being a little mean. That's not the only reason, <laughs> but a lot of people have it. I, I could side tangent on that all day long because, it drives, you know, most people that have an Apple, like you go to Starbucks. Oh, so many people have apples. 
outside of outside of California, most of the people that have those apples, their apples are slow as shit. They've had them for like 10 years, which credit to Apple for those computers lasting 10 years, right? That's amazing. But it's because it's what their parents got them and just they, they can't afford to. And, and, and please, no offense to them. OK, uh, but I'm just, you know, no offense to the, to the people that can't afford a, a new computer, but they can't afford a new computer. And so they're just still using, you know, their their, their ancient Apple. OK, uh, I mean, some people hold on to their old apples because they love them. You know, I, I understand that. But you get what I'm saying? Like, that, that's such a skewed thing that why do people why do so many people use Apple? It's because it's what their parents got them and they can't afford to buy a new computer. They can't, you know, and, and I hate it because they're using like such old apples that a lot of software that you want to use doesn't work for them. Or if you're dealing with them as like a client or something, fuck. I, I mean, like, you know, their web browser can barely run. I mean, it's, it's a goddamn pain in the ass. I mean, this is the real world. Understand that I deal with people in the real world. I don't deal with people in Silicon Valley most of the time. I deal with people that like actually do shit in their life. Well, okay. There's people in Silicon Valley that really do shit. And they're the ones that make all the software that I'm talking about. But I'm saying there's people who, who don't live in the distortion field. All right. <laughs> you know, kind of the old William Gibson line, right? Uh, well, it's not that old, but the William Gibson line that, you know, the future's already here. It's just not very evenly distributed. Well, I deal with people that live in the part of the world where it hasn't been distributed yet. And that's kind of the reality of what's going around. So anyway, got on a sidetrack there. The point I was good, I was making is that you have, you know, if you have like just a very, you know, relatively inexpensive Windows 10 machine. You know, and you can put a few pieces of software on there. You put FL, I mean, FL Studio is kind of expensive software, but maybe you could find a way to get around that. Um, you know, you put uh, like right now in Humble Bundle, they have a ton of uh, stuff from like from Cyberlink, like they have PowerDirector and all that tons of software, photo, video, you know, cam software. It's one, one of their Humble Bundle deals and it's like 30 bucks and you get literally almost a thousand dollars worth of software available to you. OK, you get all that. You know, you set that up. You have PowerDirector. You could be creating a YouTube show with ease. That is such powerful software. I use it for my games, uh, you know, for the full motion video in my games as well. Um, I mean, you know, there, there, there's so many things that you can do with that. There's, you know, there's a tremendous, even if you don't know code. I mean, fortunately, I, you know, I, I have a background where I know code. But even if you don't know code, so much of the software is like kind of automated and you could make incredible things. And you can do all of these things as long as you've got enough, you know, if you have the creative juices flowing, you can do all of these things completely on your own. You don't need anybody else. You could even do it in your spare time. You know, you can do this passion projects outside of your nine to five, whatever. And you can make all this happen. It's a it's an incredible world in that way. It's an incredible world that we live in. You just got to have the gumption. You got to have the moxie. You got to have the creativity. That's it. But the tools are there for anybody, anybody of almost any, any, any technical bracket level. Okay. You know, technical knowledge level. All right. That you find yourself within and you can make all this stuff happen. It's, it's incredible. So entrepreneurship is a very important thing. So I'm glad to see it point being after all saying all that point being, I'm really glad to see it being such a, a focus, um, at a Liberty event, because this is a way to, you know, financial freedom is an incredibly important aspect of getting, you know, serious freedom in your life. So right on, you know, I, I, I think that's great. Uh, and then that's kind of sort of the Seacoast uh, Liberty crowd. I think that's kind of one of their shticks is that they're, you know, they're really into like doing business, you know, and making things and fuck. Yeah. 
you know, <laughs> because like, I mean, I, I don't know where a lot of them stand politically, like if they agree with engaging in politics or not or whatever. But I mean, this is how you get stuff done. You know, even like Jake was saying it today during his talk, he said, he's like, no, he says all, all political stances are completely irrational. You know, <laughs> like he said, he said, none of it's none of it's worthwhile. And I was just it's like, yeah, you know, I mean, I'm some I'm not exactly quoting him, but that was the gist. And I'm sure he wouldn't disagree with what I just said. Uh, and it, it's so great to to hear that kind of message as well, because that seems to be fading away. Like so many people want to get involved with politics now. And it's fucking depressing because. Why, why even give politics a second thought when you could be doing all of this other cool shit, you know, and you could be making money to where if you needed to, you can just, you know, you can go off to another country or you can go over here, you, you know, do whatever, do like what Jake's doing. He's doing the perpetual traveling. If you listen to this podcast, you can follow him on how all of that goes. I mean, there's so much shit that you can do. Don't waste a second with that depressing nonsense. That's that is politics, politics across the board, no matter what side, left, right, whatever that it happens to be. Oh, man. Anyway, so let's why don't we get into <laughs> the so anyway, the Free Coast Festival. It's been a good time. Um, and, and you know, thanks to everybody that's that's helped put it together. Of course, big thanks to Roger Paxton for that. Uh, but let's get into uh, kind of the foreplay, some of the some of the stories that we have lined up uh, for this week. But before I get into those, hey, why don't we why don't we thank Roger Paxton for being a sponsor of the show? I'm not talking about him just because he's a sponsor. I talk about him anyway, because this guy does amazing work, whether it's the Lava Flow podcast or who if you're a Star Wars fan and boy. Talk about some crazy shit going on with Star Wars, right? Colin Trevorrow, Episode 9. Boy, if you want to keep on top of all that, you got to listen to the Resist the Empire podcast. In fact, I was talking talking to people today. They don't even, they're not even into Star Wars. They listen to the Resist the Empire podcast. That podcast is that fucking good. You understand? So resisttheempirepodcast.com. It's that liberty perspective. It's Star Wars. That beautiful amalgamation of the two. That is... I don't think it's available anywhere else. It's just not. I mean, I do little Star Wars episodes on my on Patreon, but for the whole world? Fuck no. This is the best. I mean, they do it better than I do. <laughs> so <laughs> I want you to check it out. Resisttheempirepodcast.com. Or you can just type it into your podcast app. You'll find it in a heartbeat. Um, this is just a phenomenal podcast. It's my favorite Star Wars podcast, bar none. I mean, they, they do it right. Covering the news. Again, they've got that great perspective, and they do some fun stuff with it, too. So... Do check that out. Resist the Empire podcast.com. Uh, or, and yeah, I thank them so much for being a sponsor of Sovereign Tech and making sure that this little uh, <laughs> this house goes round and round. That being the house of Sovereign Tech. Woo. All right. So let's get into some stories here, folks. All right, let's do it. Let's get into some uh, let's get into some foreplay, some little stories. Well, like I said, there's not really going to be any segments. So even saying that it's the foreplay where we usually cover all the little stories doesn't mean a whole hell of a lot. <laughs> so <laughs> let's do this. Uh, whoo. So this is something, this announcement came out. Um, and recently we've been talking quite a bit about different messaging platforms. Um, and you know, there's, like I said, there's really a battle going on. I mean, it, it's anybody's to win right now, uh, as far as what becomes kind of the standard, Kind of, you know, whatever becomes the standard platform that most people use. Now, a lot of people want to say that Facebook Messenger has won the day, but I don't think so uh, in, for a lot of reasons. Um, I know a lot of people that will use completely alternate platforms, you know, won't even install Facebook Messenger as hard as Facebook pushes it. 
And credit to those people. I mean, that's fantastic, you know, that, that they're really not interested in, in using it. Uh, I mean, for a bunch of reasons. Just look at the fucking permissions list. And yes, I know on Android, maybe you think you can turn them off. Uh, first off, it's a, it's, it's a soft switch, okay? You're trusting the app or you're trusting the OS to say that it's turned off. Second, you know, usually Messenger will break if certain features or, you know, certain things... Uh, yeah, certain permissions it doesn't have access to, like if it doesn't access to your, it doesn't have access to your microphone or whatever else. So yeah, that doesn't exactly work. So anyway, one of the ones that I'm, I'm sort of, I'm becoming more convinced that it's never really like, you're never going to have everybody using this. And I get it because I don't expect just like with a lot of, uh, you know, other, uh, you know, crypto. Okay. Uh, like with blockchains or something, I don't expect everybody to end up ever using Bitcoin. I just don't. I know there's people that, that, that make wild claims that, well, everyone's going to be using blockchains eventually, or there are cryptocurrencies. I should say more specifically blockchains, I think are going to be a backbone, a backbone of a lot of different things for a lot of different reasons. But as far as money, cryptocurrencies, current emphasis on the word currency, uh, everybody using that? No, I don't think that's going to happen. Not really, <laughs> not to where like they have actual control of it, where it's like them really using it. I mean, maybe, you know, like we've talked about how certain banks are getting on board with blockchains. Fine. The bank may use it, but really that doesn't mean you are, you're using the bank note, not, not their, you know, backend, uh, uh, you know, ledger. Right. So anyway, there's just some things that are always going to kind of be niche. Uh, of course, sovereign tech listeners, you're the niche. <laughs> okay. And signal is one of those things um, that will always that I think will really probably always be niche as easy as it is to use as simple as it is to use. I just don't know if it's ever going to. And and I've heard interesting arguments for this. In fact, um, it was Pavel Durov, who is the CEO and creator of Telegram, who is also an anarchist like myself, uh, Unlike myself, he's a very wealthy person. <laughs> but anyway, uh, but Pavel Durov was saying that what's going to be an instant turnoff for people with Signal and why that will always be niche is because you don't get to you. There won't be a, a store, a you know collection of all the communications that you've had with other people, and people in general will freak out over the fact that they don't have uh, you know a record of all of their communiques say with somebody else. Okay. Because once you, you know, activate signal on another app, everything from the other, you know, phone or whatever will just disappear and you start from zero. Okay. Now that's a feature, not a bug in my opinion, but I can understand Pavel Duras point in that really a lot of people aren't going to dig that. Like they're, they're going, you know, they want to have their chat history. Okay. They want their chat logs, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I mean, and certainly to some degree, I can understand that, that as well. I mean, I'll tell you, especially back in the nineties. Okay. On IRC, right. I used to keep logs of the shit I was doing on IRC because, oh, you know, <laughs> you know, there was some hot times going on. I mean, there was cyber sex all the way. It was, I mean, <laughs> I can't even begin to tell, I mean, some of those logs, Ooh, that shit was so hot. <laughs> so, so I get it why people would want to keep logs and why, you know, yeah, that that could be seen as a problem uh, with Signal. I don't see it as a problem. One of the things that is a genuine problem with Signal, though, okay, uh, that that I do see in that they're kind of starting to address, kind of. I want to be I want to be clear on this, okay, is the fact that it's 
attached to a phone number. Now, that's never really going to change, but how it could simply change. And this is something we've brought, you know, to for to attention on this show uh, in very recent episodes is that you don't have the opportunity to, like, say, you, you know, connect with people in a way that doesn't have to share your phone number. Um, and again, there, to some degree that that's by design, like I said, because having phone numbers is just a very simple way to verify, you know, between two signal apps of who you're talking to. I mean, it's just, it's the most basic, it's the only way to really make this work very simply. But one thing that they're doing to kind of change or one recommendation that people have made recently to change that and to allow for some degree of anonymity and whatever else is to not actually, you know, is for Signal to not exactly exchange the phone number, but exchange profiles instead and just look, you know, have each, you know, look at the secret, uh, the secret keys within signal itself which is what you should do anyway even when you have somebody's phone number and you think you're you're contacting the phone numbers you want to verify secret keys with each other in the signal app okay but if they just did profiles and they kind of hid the phone number like you could still use the phone number this is this is something that people have talked about so just this just a couple days ago again this is being recorded on september 9th uh signal did announce and this is in the beta version of the app i'll comment on that in a second in the beta version of the app they are allowing for profiles however OK, they're really all the when they say profiles, they're not talking about what everything that I just described to you to where you could have some degree of anonymity. They're just giving you the option to like upload a picture and, you know, put maybe some other information and get a little more granular with doing uh, groups with, you know, group chats within Signal and all this. So it's not really. It's not when they said that they're creating profiles, it's not like they're inventing usernames and they're allowing you to just connect with people via usernames. Uh, that's not it. It's just that they're allowing for and yeah, I mean, credit to them, like they're they're setting up. And the reason they didn't have profiles before is they said that they, they couldn't find a great uh, encrypted solution for how to do this. And now they've they figured it out to where even all the profile information that you set up with your signal app is all client side. It never goes to their servers. That's the right way to do it. Okay. But it's also not the dream that some of us have right now where you could just be sharing, perhaps share usernames, uh, you know, and have multiple usernames under one signal account. Um, that would allow you to to really communicate perhaps more anonymously, which I think is a very important thing. Uh, so this just might be I'm going to guess this might just be like step one to getting to that is how many people are going to set up profiles and all this. Um, will this work without any real bugs, you know, out in the real world with the amount of people that do actually use signal? Um, now, admittedly. I and I've said this before. I don't know. Why would you with something like signal, which, you know, you, you most the again, signal is a niche product. And I mean, I would believe me, I wish it wasn't, but I, I kind of agree with the argument that it's always going to be OK. But if, if you're using, you know, signal, if you're using an app that is crucial to, you know, you're using it because you want that great encryption, that world class, you know, gold standard encryption that the signal protocol allows for. You know, that way your, your chats are really secure. Why would you use a beta app? Like, why would you take that risk? Why would you use beta features that, that could, you know, potentially cause some kind of leak or something? 
<laughs> like that really doesn't make any sense to me that that there's even a signal beta app like this is something where look shit's got to be stable from day one you know I mean, maybe there's people who don't care that much about all of their, you know, everything being encrypted and everything being locked down and secure on it. And so they're happy to be the guinea pigs. But I can't I can't even imagine how many people are like that. Like, I would never install the beta app of that. Like, I mean, and that goes for a lot of these apps. Like if there was um, if there was like a Telegram beta app and I don't even trust Telegram's encryption out of the gate anyway. But if there was. I, I wouldn't use their beta app, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, like I'm, I'm using this because I don't want all of my data going all over the place, but beta, you know, kind of implies that mm, <laughs> something could go wrong here. You know, that's why it's beta and it's not in the stable release. So yeah, I'm, I'd find that kind of weird. I would expect, I mean, anytime that, that open whisper systems who are the creators of, uh, of signal, anytime that they've come out with a feature in beta, it's been pretty short order, often under a month or maybe a little bit over when they've put it into the stable version of the app. So, you know, when profiles come around, you know, you can, you can set them up. Um, signal is something that I need, you know, as far as like using it as a way to communicate with the sovereign tech audience and all that, that's something that I I need to look into more. I'm very intrigued by what this profile feature is going to allow for as far as groups, but that's not a conversation. I've already done enough in-house enough, enough shop talk, uh, in this episode of sovereign tech anyway. So anyway, just something to look out for. If you're using the beta app, maybe you want to check that out. Uh, but let's, let's move on to another story. But before we do, I want to tell you, about an event you need to be hitting. And this is the Nexus Conference coming up September 21st to the 23rd. It's going to be in Aspen, Colorado. This is going to be wild. Um, You've got great guests speaking there, people from the crypto space, people from the liberty space. Ron Paul is going to be there. Judge Andrew Napolitano is going to be there. You're going to have Tatiana Moroz playing her ass off. I cannot, I mean, that's going to be something. Uh, I won't be able to attend this, but that doesn't mean anything. You should be attending this, okay? Uh, It's the Nexus Conference. Again, it's uh, September 21st to the 23rd. Uh, It's just going to be a fantastic time. And I, you know, talk about beautiful places on planet Earth. The, the Colorado Rockies. Are you fucking kidding me? A, I mean, Aspen. I used to go there, you know, to do some snowboarding and everything, getting some of those hot tubs on the side of the mountain. Fucking gorgeous. Okay. <laughs> I mean, get in on this. It's going to be a great crowd, great speakers. Uh, just go to nexusearth.com slash conference dot HTML. The, uh, the link is also in the show notes for this episode. If you look at the appendix, all of the links to the Sovereign Tech sponsors are there. Uh, so please do check that out. Uh, I, I think it's just going to be a fantastic uh, event, and you, you really want to be a part of it. They've, they've got some awesome ideas. Uh, I just recently heard an interview on the Tatiana Show with the guy that, that helped set up uh, the Nexus Conference. And this guy, this guy's got some plans. <laughs> I mean, he, he's got some real future outlooks that I can definitely appreciate and that I think Sovereign Tech listeners can appreciate as well. So, uh, yeah, again, that's the Nexus Conference, September 21st to the 23rd. Uh, and I thank them so much for sponsoring Sovereign Tech. Again, just go to nexusearth.com slash conference.html and you can get your hookup. So, whew, all right, let's let's uh, let's get into another story here. Uh, and this is one, well, not, this is just like a fun little feature. This isn't such a huge deal really to talk about. This is just a little story. Uh, Twitter. And I just noticed this. Now, some people told me they hadn't seen this feature yet. And I'm going to guess that the reason they haven't seen it yet is because they're using Firefox. Um, but Twitter 
finally put the night put night mode on their desk on the desktop version of their site. Okay. Um, this has been a feature that's been available on the, the Twitter app for some time where, you know, instead of that blazing searing white that I just can't fucking stand, you know, I, I was really pleased when Microsoft finally, you know, allowed for dark mode across the board on windows 10. I really wish they would allow for a dark mode, uh, in Microsoft office finally, so that I could use word and I could, you know, I'm not getting blinded by the fucking white page screen. It's the worst. So Twitter was something where now, now granted, like I kind of had this solved already. Okay. There's a, there's an, uh, an extension for browsers. It's available for Firefox. Opera has it. Um, maybe edge. I don't think edge has it, but you know, Chrome, Chrome based browsers all have it. It's called stylish S T Y L I S H stylish. And what it does is it will just very simply kind of recolor whatever website, you know, you want. And there's, there's themes, there's like community made themes, uh, like for Facebook, you can use, there's a dark theme for Facebook and the stylish extension will cover it right up. In fact, you can use the stylish extension on, if you have, uh, if you're using the Android version of Firefox, the mobile version of Firefox that has extensions, you can use stylish on that. And then, you know, you can have dark mode on all these varying sites. Uh, so I already had it to where, you know, somebody already created a theme for stylish that made Twitter look like the night mode on the, or the dark mode, whatever you want to call it on a, you know, on, on the app, on the mobile app version of it. But, you know, there was times where the theme would kind of, would get some lettering wrong and you couldn't actually read a link that was there and there, there'd be varying problems. So it's still good to have official support for this and to find it, all you have to do. And if, again, if it's available on your browser or to your account, maybe it hasn't rolled out to everybody yet. I can't imagine why it's just a network switch. Uh, you know, other than perhaps it's a feature that doesn't work with the gecko engine yet. Right. For Thunderbird. I mean, not for Thunderbird for, uh, for Firefox, but if you, if you click up to your, you know, say you're on the homepage, okay. And you're looking at the, you know, the Twitter feed, if you click on your picture where normally you would go to account settings, you know, your picture up at the top, right at the very bottom, it'll say night mode. And then you turn that on and then suddenly the whole page, you know, turns like this bluish black, like this deep, it's not exactly gray. It's got a little bit of a blue hue to it. Uh, and then all, you know, all the links and everything turn purple. Uh, it actually looks even nicer than the mobile app as far as that goes. Uh, kudos to Twitter for putting this in. <laughs> in fact, like I'm almost conspiratorial over the fact that Facebook has never allowed you to really customize um, a lot of the colors in the user interface of Facebook itself. Uh, that's that's very, very odd. But regardless, I'm not going to get into you know what might be behind that. But uh, Twitter, I mean, great job. You know, you finally put in the night mode. It's so I mean, and they probably collected and this could be done semi anonymously if they wanted to. They probably didn't do it anonymously, but they probably saw that the bulk of people that were running the mobile app all turned on night mode and they left it on. You know, and so because of that, they're like, well, this is obviously a feature people want. Let's put it on the website. And good. I mean, I'm, I'm glad this is I don't I don't think people appreciate just how great a feature this is. OK, <laughs> because, again, I could already do it with stylish. I know I've been doing it for a long time, but I'm just saying like the, the searing white, you know, which is a byproduct, you know, everything being white on a, you know, on an OS or, you know, on a user interface of any kind. It's a byproduct of 
really like low end technologies. Yeah, and I'm, I'm talking like VGA, EGA, CGA and all that, because it was just the best way to see the limited color sets that were available. That's largely the whole reason that so all this shit is white in the background, why all these windows are white and everything. There's really no great argument for it. And in fact, if any, like at least me, maybe I'm just getting old. I mean, I'm 36, but maybe I'm just getting old. Like it just kills my eyes, but it's always killed my eyes. I hate it. I hate the fucking white, like make it all dark. I mean, granted when I grew up, you know, the first computers I was using, you know, they're, they're monochrome. I mean, you had, well more, yeah. I mean, you, you know, you had the green and black or the amber and black screen. And I love that where predominantly the color of the operating system was black was practically nothingness. Okay. And you had, you know, when you were playing snakes on your Apple IIe or something or Oregon trail, you had, um, you know, you had the green and that, that was all your graphics, right? Didn't even have a color palette until you messed with the Commodore 64. And even that didn't have that fucking searing white. It had a green, had the decency to have a green background, which makes sense because green as a, as an entire background, green is the easiest color on the human eye. So it only makes sense to do that, you know, but that fucking bright white, oh, (laughs) kill it with fire, you know? So anyway, not a big deal, but I just thought that that was a nice feature. Good on Twitter uh, for putting that out there. And if you're not following me on Twitter yet, uh, at Sovereign Tech, easiest way to find me. And, you know, it's very kind. I know a lot of you do follow me on there. I have over 10,000 followers on Twitter. So uh, anyway, yeah, nice feature there. Good, good work. (laughs) So. Uh, whoo, let's, uh, let's get into another little story here. This is something kind of an update. Um, in fact, I started sweating. I'll admit it. I was sweating. Uh, not that I'm going to confirm or deny that I ever download things, uh, in what is considered conventionally in a legal fashion, wink, wink. Uh, but, uh, so, all right. I, I'm, I'm a huge comic book nerd. Not news to anybody that's listened to Sovereign Tech for a long time. We talk about comic books over and over again, especially if you're a patron, always talking about comic books on Patreon. Um, sometimes, you know, when I want to preview things, check them out, make sure they're worth purchasing and all that. Uh, you know, maybe I'll maybe I'll see what's happening on certain certain torrent sites or whatever. Um, and I'll check these things, admittedly, religiously. So one of my top torrent sites uh, and it's one that I've been leading a lot of sovereign tech listeners to that has had a tremendous growth, um, in a scene that really like a lot of people are just kind of giving up, you know, a lot of site runners, torrent site runners are, they're really, they're, they're giving up. They're like, you know what, this is a fucking thankless job, uh, in a lot of ways. And well, I could have a conversation around that, but anyway, their, their story is that it's a thankless job. And, you know, after like doing it for 11 years, which is about how long really the torrent community has been, you know, has, has been on fire. Some of them have had enough and they just kind of drop out and they quit. And so a lot of sites have been shutting down um, or, you know, they still they care about what they're doing. They want to run these sites, uh, you know, these various torrent sites. But when their site goes down, they don't want to spend time communicating because all they get is shit for it. Which is pathetic. And I, and I think I think what's happened here. And I'll talk. This isn't exactly what I meant to talk about with the story, but I'll, I'll get to the point of this story in a minute. Um, I think what's happening here is that you have. A torrent, I think so tor- torrenting in general, OK, in the torrenting of even really of copyrighted material and all that. 
I think there is a very interesting sociological and economic uh, conversation to be had around this because these are people who, you know, really like run these sites, upload all the stuff, you know, use a ton of bandwidth, etc. Okay, or they have custom hardware to make all of this available to you, and for all intents and purposes, they they really do this out of the kindness of their hearts as far as sharing it with the world and making it available to everybody. And there are, look, there's a multitude of reasons for doing this. Some of which I think are very good reasons. Okay. Like having an anti DRM stance. I'm not saying you can't create DRM. Okay. As a business or something like that. Of course you can. All right. But also a consumer can do whatever the fuck they need to, to strip that DRM. Can they not? Yeah. If you're capable of doing it, fucking do it. Every book I buy on, on Amazon and Kindle, I, Look, I bought the book, but I don't want the DRM on there. I stripped that shit because I want to make sure I keep the book. So, yes, companies have every right to make DRM. Consumers have every right to fucking get rid of it. Okay, so. A lot of people torn stuff just because I mean, and I've done this, I buy Blu-rays, I, you know, I still buy movies, I still, you know, I, I still buy tons of content, but I will go to the torrent site, perhaps. And just for, for simplicity's sake, and I'm not the only person that does this. Okay. And download it because it will, you know, they did, they did the work for me for stripping the DRM and I don't have to, you know, either buy any fox or what it's, what is it called? Red Fox now, whatever the new version of any DVD is, you know, we, we talked about this about a year ago. So, you know, that way I don't have to mess with that. That way I don't have to deal with, you know, because I mean, it's an arms race, right? with DRM stripping it and, you know, enhancing it back and forth, back and forth goes on forever. It's been going on for a decade, if not longer. Well, hell it's been going on for 20, 30 years. <laughs> I mean, they, they were trying it with VHS, right? When you, when you'd rent a copy or something, um, you know, rent a movie or whatever, you try and copy it. And then they do that color trick where, you know, the movie would fade in and out with the color, whatever. So, uh, you know, this, this arms race is going on, but like, if you don't want to take the time to do it, yeah, I I completely understand that. I don't either. Okay. But I've already bought the content. It's not like I didn't put the money down, but I want that copy that doesn't have the DRM. So, I mean, this is my point is that it's not just people going after free shit. Okay. It's really not, but there are people who in many ways, I mean, up until the point when Bitcoin came around and there was a nice anonymous way to get donations for running torrent sites. Um, you know, people really were doing this out of the kindness of their hearts. Now, admittedly, there is kind of a generational thing going on with torrent sites. Okay. And what I mean by that is you had the first people that were into torrenting. were not really, really, it wasn't, it wasn't so much teenagers. I mean, you had the whole Kazaa thing and then, you know, and you had what duct tape these nuts when, you know, when MP3s first became hot in the nineties and whatever, and you downloaded your favorite song, you know, I, I get it. Okay. Um, but what you had is a generation that the first torrenters were generally were, was a group of people. Maybe generation isn't the best term, but it was people with the mindset of owning their music, of or owning their content, of having control of their content, having local copies of their content, not streaming everything. Okay, it was a, it's a very different mindset than I think what exists today. Okay, so 
What I think happened is, is now you have another generation. In this case, I do mean generation. You have another generation that's kind of grown up. And this isn't like a damn kids argument. Okay, it's really not. But you have another generation that's grown up that, you know, owning copies of the music or, you know, having your own copy or whatever else, like a lot of that stuff doesn't necessarily matter. Or more importantly, there is no appreciation for what it was like to really have to perhaps bust your ass to get the content the way that you want it, to make it available to you, okay? And so when a torrent site goes down now, you know, the bulk of the people that are doing torrenting, like they don't, uh, they don't seed, they're just leechers, right? They, they, they usually don't allow for much of an upload. And, you know, I, I think that they're just like, oh shit, why can't I get access to this? You know, I mean, it, it's, it's almost an entitlement attitude that these people have, and they have no respect for the amount of work and the fact that these people are doing it for maybe some donations if they're lucky, but you know, they have no respect for the site operators or whatever else. And, and so the site operators get shit and they're tired of it. So when their site goes down, yeah, they don't say a word. They don't, they don't put anything out on their Twitter, uh, you know, on their Twitter accounts. They don't do anything on their blogs. I mean, the pirate Bay has, when's the last time they updated their, their blog, their blog used to be one of the best things to read on the internet. Like really it was, uh, this would have been back in 2010, 2011. Um, you know, they don't communicate. It's, it's, it's not a, it's, it's not a two way. It's not even a one way street anymore. Okay. But they don't do it because all they do is get shit. And, and I think that that's annoying. And I, I empathize with the torrent site operators. It's terrible. You know, it's like, okay, it's down. Well, maybe you should donate. <laughs> maybe you should give them some incentive, you know, to, to, to do something more about getting it up and running. Um, now, you know, a lot of the, where, where some of these technologies will continue to thrive, and this is something we've talked about, you know, we were talking about with Signal and some other stuff as well, uh, in, including this very show, you know, it, things thrive in the niches, okay? And the comic book torrent community is a niche, and it's a niche that has a very powerful hero, in fact, that being Nemesis 43, uh, who is a, you know, well, we don't know how many people it is, but anyway, it's a group or person that does a hell of a job of making sure that on Wednesday, you know, oftentimes before even the comic book shops are open around the world, uh, you know, comic books are being uploaded, you know, and you can get some of the latest issues of whatever's going on. Um, in fact, Nemesis 43 is such a powerful force in the torrent community that when, uh, was it last year, last summer, or a couple summers ago, uh, when Kick-Ass Torrents, the original Kick-Ass Torrents, of course, it's back now, but when the original Kick-Ass Torrents went down, they ended up, you know, they, they moved on. They, I think they might have posted, you know, Nemesis 43 might have posted on Demonoid for a little while. And then I got a message, you know, from, from people within the community. I got some emails saying, hey, we're setting up shop um, at the site called WorldwideTorrents.eu. And of course, I've talked about that for, you know, I, as soon as I heard about it, I told the entire Sovereign Tech audience, uh, you know, that instant. And it's been an impressive, the site has been an impressive success. Uh, and it, it really does center around Nemesis 43's social capital, shall we say. Um, so while its main bread and butter is the fact that, you know, you can get all your latest comic books there and everything. There's a lot of people that have used worldwide torrents as their main area to where they put documentaries, TV shows, books, uh, music. I mean, like it's really, it's become a, and lots of porn. I mean, it, it's become a play, you know, a real player in the, the torrent site 
you know, world. Okay. Uh, a couple weeks ago, and this is, this is the thing. So, and I, I have some theories as to why exactly this happened, uh, and particularly why it may have happened with worldwide torrents. Um, one of the nice things about worldwide torrents is that not everybody knew about it. Okay. Again, it was, it was really a site that just appealed to a certain niche community, but it kind of grew, you know, it definitely grew a little bit beyond that. But the main thing that everybody goes there for still are comic books. Okay. Um, it was a couple Wednesdays ago now. All right. That suddenly in the middle of the day, it went down. So on comic book day, like I'm checking the site every hour on the hour, you know, because I remember when kick-ass torrents shut down. What was that? Was that August? Not, not, not August, 2016. Was that August, 2015? Maybe it was August, 2016. Yeah, no, no, it would have been, I think it would have been August, 2015 or maybe it was whatever. When kick-ass torrents went down, like it just in the middle of the day and it was comic book day, it was a Wednesday and it shut down and I was like, Oh, holy shit. Okay. Because, and, and, and I kind of always had the sense that this sort of thing could happen. And so the reason that I check every hour on the hour is I want to make sure that I'm getting, you know, kind of the latest issues before all of this goes away and disappears. You know, like there's the chance that just in the middle of the day, the site could just go down. And if I was just there five minutes sooner, I've could have, I could have gotten the magnet link and everything would have been fine. So this exact scenario happened again. Um, it was a Wednesday, middle of the day. And then, you know, come like two, three o'clock, two, three p.m. Eastern, suddenly, oh, shit, the site's not coming up anymore. I mean, I had already, you know, already started building up the collection a bit, but, you know, for the day, but then there was no more. And I was like, oh, hell. And then, you know, days, almost a whole week goes by and I'm like, oh, what the fuck is going on? And eventually I started asking around, you know, asking people, hey, um, you, are you guys solving this? <laughs> like, like there's no communication. Everybody on Twitter, you know, nobody on Twitter is being, is really able to be helpful. They're just saying, Oh shit, it's down. Worldwide torrents is gone. What's happening. Um, what ended up happening is that their, their domain name was effectively seized. Uh, and so, you know, you couldn't like that domain name was shut down worldwide torrents.eu. You type that in, you weren't going to get there. They put in, they, they just changed it. Now it's just worldwide torrents.me. Okay. And you can use that link is in the show notes, rock and roll. It's my favorite torrent site straight up. Uh, and I certainly, you know, do a lot more than just check out comics on there. So, um, now what I think really happened, why did that suddenly happen then? Well, that's because that Tuesday of that week, wonder woman came out on home video. And when you have a comic book site and wonder woman just came out, I think that they were, you know, that they're like, okay, no, we got to send a message that, you know, this shit isn't going to happen. So I think that's why worldwide torrents might've gotten targeted because, because of the fact that the wonder, I mean, a lot of torrent sites went down that very week. And I think that completely had to do with wonder woman, which is amazing. I mean, there's so much, okay. So we reviewed wonder woman on the show. I did it with the lovely and hyper intelligent Dr. Stephanie Murphy. Um, I love the movie. I think it's a great movie. Uh, it's amazing that my, you know, <laughs> local theaters in my, you know, you know, in New Hampshire are, and that I say in New Hampshire because, you know, it's not like these theaters are, you know, these multi, well, some of them are, but not all of these theaters are these, you know, multi cinema complexes, right? Where there's, you know, 20 theaters and whatever else. And, you know, you could, you could easily let movies sit there for a few months or something. Amazingly, Wonder Woman is still in theaters. 
and it's getting a home video release. <laughs> I, that's remarkable. You know, that that's going down. When did that come out? Was, was that May <laughs> or June? No, it was right. It was like the first or second week of June that Wonder Woman came out. And it's still in theaters. I mean, that used to be kind of commonplace back in the day. You know, back in the 80s and 90s, it was kind of commonplace because there weren't so many movies coming out. Okay. But now that's unheard of. You're lucky if movies will will sit in a theater for two weeks these days, let alone, you know, three, four months, let alone up to when home video happens. I mean, yeah, that's amazing that that it's September, you know, and it just came out in June and you already have a home video release. I mean, that that's you know that that is yeah that's remarkable like that's that doesn't happen that often i remember they they test bedded it with uh, serenity right the the firefly movie where i think it came out in theaters and home video like it came out in home video right after it was out in theaters or something uh that was obviously some kind of money grab but anyway so i think that's what if you noticed a ton of torrent sites were down i think that that's really what was going on was they were going they were hitting the torrent sites hard with the release of wonder woman, they wanted to make sure that, Oh no, nobody's You're going to, you're going to have to buy wonder woman if you want to see this. And I, I get their perspective because this is a hot movie. This is a popular movie. This is a great movie. This is a movie people are going to want to buy, but that's the thing is that I think a lot of people they're, you know, they'll buy it anyway because they want to support, you know, the message or they want to support, you know, a female led movie. Not that wonder woman is by far the first one. It's not, but you know, this is a phenomenon. So I, I don't think they really had anything to worry about. And obviously the numbers it did in theaters is proof that they had nothing to worry about. So it's kind of weird, but regardless, the, most of the torrent sites that were in any way affected are back up. Pirate Bay had a rough few days, but I, I noticed that while the Pirate Bay was having a rough time, they also suddenly they implemented BitLord streaming into the Pirate Bay, which I don't stream ever at all. I just, it, I'm not interested. Uh, but I think maybe it had more to do with that, that that's they were trying to put in that feature set and maybe it didn't maybe it overloaded their servers for a couple of days. I don't know, but they were running wonky for a little while. Uh, but Pirate Bay is back up now. And of course, like I said, just go to WorldwideTorrents.me and that will give you the hookup to that site. Nothing's nothing's down. Nothing disappeared. Everything's the same. All that happened was their you know, Worldwide Torrents, their original uh, domain was seized. And like I said, I think it all completely had to do with uh, with Wonder Woman. They wanted to send like a really powerful statement or see if they could kind of recapture home video sales, perhaps, which I don't think was going to be a problem anyway uh, with its release. So anyway, there's your update on that. Just go to WorldwideTorrents.me. But let's take another quick break. I mean, you know, you, you we we're talking about having physical copies. How about going as far as having things in your hand, having physical things in your hand, getting some physical goods? How about getting stores of value, stores of wealth physically in your hands? Not Bitcoin, not Zencash, Zcash, Litecoin, or whatever, but <laughs> physical stuff, cold storage in your hands. Get precious metals, gold, silver, platinum, palladium. And if you're going to do it, what I want you to do, I want you to go to one of our sponsors, uh, just one of the best sponsors, one of our longest for Sovereign Tech, that being Roberts and Roberts Brokerage. Okay, just go to the website, rrbi.co, 
Okay, or you can go to gold.zog.ninja. Either way, let them know that the Golden Stallion sent you. They're going to know exactly who you're talking about. They listen to the show. Uh, and you can buy some of that with Bitcoin. How's that Bitcoin price doing? Doing really, really well. Well, how about you diversify a little bit? Okay, you know, kind of ride the waves here and there. And you can do that by getting your hands on some precious metals. It's a good idea to diversify, you know, your portfolio anyway, you know, and add some precious metals into that. Have that, what I always say, it's the real cold storage. Okay, and it's got a great track record in history you really want to do this just go to robbers and robbers brokerage they're going to take care of you great customer service tremendous customer service they'll even buy gold and silver from you if you want to go that route but they are a bitcoin preferred business so if you want to jump on that if you want to use up some of that bitcoin that's this is who you want to go to you want to deal with them to one of the best businesses on the planet today robbers and robbers brokerage get your hands on that precious metals rrbi.co and i cannot thank them enough for being such a longtime sponsor of sovereign tech. So, all right, let's move on. Let's get into, uh, let's get into another little, uh, little story here. Actually, this isn't that little. So we finally have a date, not that kind of date. October 17th, uh, is going to be the release of the windows 10 fall creators update. Okay. Now, as far as feature set goes with what's being released with this, it really feels like, okay, and this is going to be, of course, for if, maybe if, if you don't know, okay, maybe if you're new to Sovereign Tech or, you know, kind of new to the tech world or something. Um, Microsoft has a release schedule of twice a year that they do a major revision, major update to Windows 10. And their claim is, is that there will never be another version of Windows. It's always going to be Windows 10. I think that's bullshit. We've talked about that. I've explained my Midori theory, M-I-D-O-R-I. You can look into that. Um, I don't think Windows 10 is going to be the last operating system from them. Uh, Windows 10 isn't even, we talked about this in recent episodes and well into the past, that Windows 10 isn't even really the operating system anymore. Now really Cortana is the operating system and that's all based around Azure, not even on your computer, but whatever. Um, Windows 10 is a skin <laughs> for Win32 apps and in Cortana pretty much. But anyway, so they do major revisions to the operating system uh, twice a year and we are due for our second one of the year. And they have officially called it the Windows 10 Fall Creators Update. And it is getting released on October 17th. Um, as far as feature set goes, so this is the weird thing, is that Microsoft has, and look, I can empathize with this, okay? There's times, there's a million times where I've said, all right, I'm going to release this this week or something like that. And then just things happen, life happens, whatever happens, or something takes more time than I expected, or I'm too ambitious, which, holy shit, you know, and you can't release things on time, okay? Now, it's a little bit different when we're talking about a multi-billion dollar, you know, global company, but still, I, I can at least to some degree understand but it seems like a lot of the features that have been promised ever since Windows 10 was first announced, kind of like Windows People, which is that, you know, contact slash messaging notification system that was supposed to be built into the Action Center on Windows 10 that has still not been released, at least not on the stable version of Windows 10. Um, it seems like there's a lot of promises, a lot of features that get talked about at varying Microsoft events. And now there's three or four of those a year. Okay. And they just keep getting pushed back. Like every time they announce another one, it gets pushed back to the next uh, to the next major up, you know, to the next major upgrade to the OS. And then it gets pushed pushed back to the next one. So I almost feel like it's a moot point 
until this actually comes out to talk about what feature set is coming with Windows 10, uh, you know, or with this new update to Windows 10, this new major update. Because, I mean, at the last minute, and this has happened in the past, at the last minute, they will remove a feature that they were originally going uh, going to release. Like, there's there's supposed to be that, that Music Maker software that they've been talking about for almost a year now that is yet to see a release. You know, this is an official, you know, universal Windows app, you know, UWP uh, app that by Microsoft that's supposed, it looks like it's trying to be kind of like Apple's GarageBand, which is great software, by the way. Uh, you know, kudos to Apple for coming up with that one. Uh, and it, it, it's never seen the light of day. I don't know if it's going to come out with the Fall Creators update. You know, whether they announce it or not, I don't know if it's going to come out for that. Uh, it's a miracle that Paint 3D actually came out with the what was originally the Windows 10 Creators update, which came out in March uh, of this year of 2017. So there's definitely going to be a big push on Windows MR with this, okay, which is Windows Mixed Reality. And the hardware is here, so I can't see why it isn't going to happen. Uh, hardware being, we talked about this a bit last week, where, you know, uh, Acer, Asus, Lenovo, Dell, everybody's coming out with uh, Windows mixed reality headsets, or, you know, really it's virtual reality with a little sprinkling of augmented reality, okay? Um, and these headsets, you know, great price point. Again, most of them starting at under $300. And, you know, there's controllers involved and there's the headset and you don't have to do like with the HTC Vive where you're, you know, putting um, you have to put various like sensor nodes or whatever around in a room so that it knows how to interact and everything. And the amazing thing is, is that Windows MR, these headsets can work, I mean, with varying degrees of quality, but they can work with both the Oculus Rift ecosystem and the HTC Vive ecosystem, which is just a huge win. I, again, I really think this is going to be a big deal. So the, the fall creators update concentrating a lot on virtual reality or mixed reality in the case of how, what Microsoft likes to call it, um, th that's happening. Okay. And, and I, it, that's the one thing you can kind of expect with this going on now later on, I don't think it's going to be on the 17th. It'll probably be later in the month. I didn't see an exact date for this, but later on in October, there's going to be what they call a, uh, it's going to be an event called future decoded, which is a very interesting name for that kind of event. Um, the fall has become a really huge deal for all of the tech giants. Of course, I think September 12th, we have the Apple event where they're going to be announcing the iPhone eight, which is going to be the 10th anniversary iPhone. Obviously we'll talk about that quite a bit next week on the show. Um, you know, after that gets announced, but, um, so, I mean, you have that happening. And then Google has an event, I think, also set for late October. Microsoft, of course, has their event. So all these tech giants have these various events. Um, the future decoded event, I expect them to really show use cases for the Windows MR, you know, the mixed reality platform. And with all those headsets that you'll be able to buy for the holiday season, okay, from, again, from Dell, Lenovo, Asus, and all that. Uh, they, you know, they're going to say, well, this is what you can do. This is what you can do. And it's all powered by the fall creators update. Right. And that's going to be kind of the conversation. Now there's, it's already been, it's, it's been revealed that there's going to be at least one new computer announced, um, at this future decoded event by Microsoft. So there's going to be a new surface computer of some kind. It might be a whole new line of surface computers, even though they just, you know, had the surface pro come out. Um, last week when we were talking about the, 
the supposed eighth generation, which were really just KB Lakes. They're not really the eighth generation Intel processors in the advertisement for the eighth for these new KB Lake processors for the eighth generation processors. There was a black surface book. So we're probably going to see a black surface book, which admittedly would keep me, you know, the fact that the surface book was white would keep me from buying one of those damn things. So <laughs> not really, if I really wanted one, I mean, I can't afford one, but I mean, if I, if I really wanted one of those, um, you know, I would have dealt with the white, but regardless. Uh, so yeah, there's probably going to be a new surface book. I mean, it's sort of, I think that's kind of been a hint at that. There might be, you know, the new surface desktop there, you know, we'll see what ends up getting released on that, but obviously there's going to be a huge push on all of this, being able to create content and interact with content within virtual reality, augmented reality, or again, this, you know, this combined term of mixed reality. Uh, and, and all that I think is, is honestly like, that's very exciting. Um, I, what I really expect to be a thing there is they've, you know, they've been riding the news for HoloLens, which is their augmented reality platform. More specifically, they've been riding kind of news over that and various demos of that for about two years now, you know, so you've got to, you got to pay off on that. I mean, you can buy HoloLens, you can buy developer editions of HoloLens, but I think they need to start paying off on that. My guess is, is that this future decoded event, just in the name that it's called future decoded. So they're talking about the future of Microsoft. HoloLens is absolutely the future of Microsoft. Okay. Because HoloLens, and this is why I say that, you know, really Cortana is the operating system. Okay, that's going to be your interaction with the Windows world Um, because and this is why I mean, now you're starting to see a lot of the stuff is is really starting to come together. Okay, for Microsoft, what were their plans? What the hell were they thinking? Why did they go with UWP when you had such an amazing, you know, the universal Windows app platform? Okay, when you had such an amazing, uh, uh, you know, software ecosystem that beats everybody. You know, Apple doesn't have as great an ecosystem. Even mobile devices don't have as solid and as impressive an ecosystem as what Windows have has with their Windows, you know, their standard Windows 32 software that they've been dealing with for decades. Okay, you know, why would they go with the Windows, you know, with the universal apps? Like what what's the big fucking deal? Well, we know now that the big fucking deal is just even with the virtual reality headsets that you can buy right now, not even talking HoloLens, is that any one of those can instantly work within Windows MR, which is, you know, the virtual reality version of Windows 10. So, you know, you can interact with it that way. But really, at the end of the day, Microsoft's got to be getting to the point where they're like, we want you to talk to your headset, you know, and we want you to deal with Cortana to do something within an app, you know, as, as much as that can possibly be done. Right. So but and that's that's again, that's how all of this is coming together, is that you have the universal apps, you have Cortana and all of that can work within this mixed reality platform. That's their future. That's what they see as the future. And that doesn't mean that they're, they're going to get rid of physical computers because you still have to be able to build this shit. Right. I mean, yeah, I could see a get to a point where kind of what we were talking about earlier, where you have this, you know, with all the different software and apps that you have today, how you can create things, even if you have almost no technical knowledge, I'm sure it's going to get to the point to where you can build things kind of like Minecraft, you know, just using hand gestures and, you know, really impressive sensors on a, like a HoloLens headset that, you know, I mean, you, you'd just be building things, you know, like kind of holographically, right? Which is why they used to call Windows MR is originally called Windows 10 holographic. Okay. That that's the future I think that they're building and it's coming fast. Well, 
it'll come fast as long as they actually talk about HoloLens. Like they, what they should be doing, have the virtual headsets, okay, but then say, come 2018, we're releasing HoloLens to the consumer, you know, to, to the public. Okay, it's not just going to be developer editions anymore. If they want to stay fresh, if they want to stay hot, they need to do that. And I'll tell you, there's a brilliance in them if they do it because you have both Apple and Google. Google, what did they announce for their augmented reality? Uh, was it R-Core? Is that the name of it? AR-Core? They've more, they haven't like dropped Project Tango, which is their way to uh, sense, uh, you know, for, for like a smartphone to be able to map uh, in three dimensions instead of just taking like two dimensional pictures, right? It can map in three dimensions. That has not taken off. People have not bought the hardware that takes advantage of Project Tango, which they, they bought out. I think Google bought out Project Tango. It was originally a, Len- or no, it wasn't originally a Lenovo project. That, yeah, Google's always been on top of that. Anyway, sorry. So Project Tango hasn't taken off. They see what Apple is doing as far as having AR kit built into all of their devices, which will allow for this very impressive augmented reality developing suite for all kinds of companies to work within. Okay, so they're getting into the augmented reality game. And a lot of people have the perception. I disagree with it, but whatever. I get it. They have it. A lot of people have the perception that, um, you know, that once un, until Apple takes something seriously, nobody takes it seriously. It's not true, but people feel that way. So now that Apple is involved in augmented reality, we know with their AR kit, okay, platform, um, it's happening. Google now has their AR core platform, which is going to allow almost any Android device to interact with the latest augmented reality technologies and software and apps. Okay. So you're going to have both of those announcements coming. And again, Google's going to have an event. They're going to announce the the pixel two, which we've talked about. We've confirmed that way before any other news source did on sovereign tech. Um, I mean, it was kind of a safe call, but we knew exactly when it would be coming out. But anyway, so you're going to have, you know, Google's going to be talking about AR core. They already have apps out there that take advantage of AR core. If Microsoft says the HoloLens is coming, you know, maybe, maybe even it'll come sooner than, than 2018. I don't know. I can't believe that because they really have to keep that secret. But if they did that, that would be the news that could just sweep away, um, you know, whatever Apple announces and whatever Google has to announce. Okay, if they say we're, I mean, it, it, it would end up working out just like Amazon, how Amazon and even Google gave them credit, how Amazon created an entire new market category with the Amazon Echo. Microsoft could really create an entire new market category by skipping everything, maybe even skipping mobile platforms to a degree and going, going right for the jugular and just saying, okay, HoloLens is coming next year. Boom. And you're done. Um, now, another thing that's being expected is that, and, and this is a claim that has come right from Satya Nadella, is that by the end of 2017, uh, and this is important, by the end of 2017, the Windows 10 on ARM devices are going to finally come out. Okay, so this is another platform that I'm sure will get talked about at this future decoded where, and, and the kind of the nickname for these devices that Microsoft came up, came up with is connected PCs meaning that these are PCs, you know, these are full-on laptops, computers, whatever, running with ARM processors, which are generally for mobile. So the idea is these are, you know, 
these are always connected PCs because they're like cell phones that are just in the shape of laptops and PCs. That's kind of the idea. But really, it's right down to the architecture, right? Because they're all running on ARM. And that was the huge announcement that they made. Was that back in May when Microsoft announced that they finally licked it? They made it so that x86 software could run on ARM. I mean, it's emulated, but it ran like it's native. Uh, so those connected PCs are probably going to be a part of this future decoded thing. I think that this is still going to be now, like I said, if they're talking about HoloLens being this leapfrog product that just, you know, issues laptops, the PC in general. Okay. Which I don't think is a crazy thing for them to do. I'm not saying I agree with it. I still want my PC. Okay. Um, I think that the, you know, the connected PC line is going to get people more used to always being connected, maybe getting them more used to using more cloud services. And at the end of the day, relying more upon um, like ways that you interact with things on mobile platforms, meaning relying more upon voice assistance, um, relying more upon, you know, yeah, I mean, just the way you do, again, the way you do things without perhaps like always touching, um, you know, always going to a keyboard or mouse or something. All right. And this will get you hooked into Microsoft's Azure servers, which in turn gets you hooked onto Cortana, which in turn gets you hooked on potentially HoloLens in the future. So I think connected PCs are kind of a, a stepping stone to getting to this. Again, I'm not saying that this is necessarily a good thing. Okay. But it's a stepping stone to getting you used to more using more cloud services because a lot of people still use Windows because of the fact that all of that can be done locally. I mean, that's part of the reason I use Windows is because it's not so reliant or I mean, Windows 10 depends on how you set it up, you know, by stock is very reliant or makes a lot of use of the cloud. Okay, but, you know, you can still set it up to where you can be doing everything locally and offline. Right. Um, the connected PC, I think, is getting people more used to being, you know, connected to the cloud and just, again, using things more in a mobile fashion, using different UIs, using different, you know, interfaces in general via voice or whatever else. Okay, so connected PCs will be a thing. And those could initially probably look really cool to where they could be almost pocket PCs with a little keyboard on them and the whole thing. And I know there's companies that already kind of do this sort of thing, but to have them be from Microsoft partners and like officially, you know, supported and all that. Yeah. I imagine that, that being very attractive. Um, I mean, I'd love to have like a little, you know, kind of like the netbook days, but even smaller where it's like a six inch screen and I have a little keyboard and some USB ports and everything. Like I said, I know those computers already exist and I know of people that have them and they love them and that's awesome. Okay. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that'll be a thing, but a lot of that, I am really starting to see that in Microsoft's eyes, those are stepping stones to HoloLens. Not that I agree that that's the direction I necessarily want things to go. I like the idea of HoloLens. I just don't like the idea of losing the PC as well. Um, but yeah, that's probably what they're shooting for. And and that's that's how that's all going to end up shaking up um, as far as this whole, you know, future decoded uh, event. I, that's what I'm expecting. And look, I'll tell you, you know, full honesty, like I th and, and it's not because like I'm some kind of crazy big fan of Microsoft. I'm not. They have had the best events bar none, and they have had the biggest announcements at their events. I mean, I, I expect the iPhone eight event to be a big deal, you know, I, I don't question that, but it'll be the first Apple event, in my opinion, that that's a big deal in years, in literal years. OK, but.
But Microsoft with like Panos Panay when he comes out, I mean, they are just, you know, it's almost where even if you hate Microsoft, say you're, you know, you're diehard, you know, Linux or BSD fan like myself, or if you're an Apple fan or whatever, you watch those events. I mean, those are masterworks. You know, those are masterpieces. This is how you give a presentation. This is how you announce shit. This is how you release shit. This is how you do it. And so, I, you know, I'm excited for it because I, I love seeing that. I love seeing when a tech company like, you know, just is behind, so behind their software, their hardware, what, you know, and, and, and showing people the future and all that. I mean, that can be really exciting stuff. I mean, I remember, you know, watching back in the in the aughts, you know, when the iPod was the hottest thing, you know, in the world. I remember watching, you know, those keynotes with, you know, Steve Jobs just going, oh, man, that iPod Nano, <laughs> you know even though those are gone now, you know, whatever it ends up looking at and and just being just being in awe of like this brilliant new design, new category, perhaps even that they would end up creating whatever it was. I mean, it was just it was magic. It was really, really something to see. And Microsoft has that magic right now. So this event, I think, is going to be huge. Again, my major prediction that no one else is really talking about, I think, is that they're going to have to come out with a major HoloLens announcement to just get out in front of everything that Google's doing in augmented reality. And of course, everything that Apple uh, is doing as far as augmented reality. But anyway, let's, uh, yeah, let's move on to, to another bit of a story here. But before I do, I got to tell you, if you, you know, we we talked about Bitcoin, we talked about blockchains a bit earlier. If you want to keep an eye on that whole space, there's one website I want you to go to, and they are a sponsor of Sovereign Tech, CryptoCompare.com. CryptoCompare.com, these guys, they have got your hookup. I love them. They, I mean, anything you want to keep an eye on. You even want to keep an eye on Bcash. You want to keep an eye on Zencash. You want to keep an eye on Dash. You want to keep an eye on Monero. You want to keep an eye, you know, Bitcoin out, whatever the fuck these things. I mean, you know, whatever you want to keep an eye on, they've got your hookup. They're listing pretty much everything, and that's, that is a no small feat, okay? <laughs> Just go to their search bar, type it in, and it'll come up. Uh, but they also, you know, they, they, they cover some of the latest news, wallet software, all kinds of cool stuff. CryptoCompare.com. I say it every week, but it's true. I keep that tab open all the time. I am ready. I am keeping an eye on this stuff. I want to see it happening. And uh, it's just, it's, it's, you know, it's such an exciting space, especially when it comes to cryptocurrencies. And especially with, there's really a kind of a, a little battle. You know, it's not really a competition because I think that they can all exist, you know, all coexist and it's fine. But there's definitely, you know, shall we say some friendly competition. Sometimes it's not so friendly Uh, uh, between privacy coins. That's what they're being labeled now. And there's quite a few of them out there and they're legit. Like they're using, you know, top of the line crypto to, you know, anonymize and encrypt transactions that you're doing. And it's really exciting to watch the privacy coin space. And I think that that's kind of the next big boon, um, you know, that's happening right now. Uh, and CryptoCompare.com, hey, that's the place to watch them all. So check out the site, CryptoCompare.com, and I thank them for sponsoring Sovereign Tech. Now, let's, uh, let's move on. You know, we've been talking a lot about history uh, this episode, a lot of tech history, really. And I think... Right now, I want to do because this is a question I've gotten. I've, I mean, gotten a ton of new listeners recently, and a lot of people are asking about. This is a popular question. A lot of people are asking me about, like, what is what exactly is my background in tech? Why the hell do I think that I can even talk about this stuff? Why do I even think that I have the, you know, uh, that it's worthwhile, perhaps, for me to do a podcast or for you know about tech or for you to even listen to me? 
And it's been a while since I think I've covered this. In fact, it's been years uh, since I've covered how I got into this whole industry, uh, how I got into the tech world and all that. And so kind of as an amalgamation of the tech, usually what is the tech history segment? In fact, right now it would be the tech history segment if we were still if we were doing segments this week and the climax, which is where I can talk about whatever the hell I want to talk about. Um, I want to spend the rest of the show kind of giving an overview of where the hell I came from as far as, you know, and how I got to where I am now as far as the tech industry and all that. I'm not going to start it like, well, it was a dark and stormy night on May 12th, 1981. You know, nothing, nothing so grandiose. Okay. But yeah, I'll tell you, you know, what some of my experience, some of my past experience, um, where I've worked within this field and how I got to where I am right now. Uh, you know, with, with where I'm doing this tech podcast, Sovereign Tech, and maybe even a little bit as to why I do this tech podcast, because I have so many new listeners. So let us go ahead, regardless, and set the way back machine for, you know, approximately, let, let's say 1984, 1985. I was born in 1981. Okay. Um, I can remember very early on, at a very young age, seeing... um my father, who my dad, he is, he's been in, you know, the science and tech field for, he's an engineer. He's been in it, you know, his whole life pretty much. Um, I mean, he's, he's worked on some very big projects in his life and his history. I mean, right down to, you know, he's worked on Voyager. I don't mean Star Trek show. I mean, (laughs) you know, the fucking probes. Okay. (laughs) I mean, he, you know, he, he's been around and computers, Like, I don't know a time where computers weren't in the house. They've just always been, as long as I've existed, there have been computers around. If it was, you know, an old Tandy, you know, an old T100 or whatever. um, I mean, I remember those, um, you know, the first, but really the first computer that I remember really seeing and not that I knew even what to do with it, but the first computer I remember really seeing was we had some of the old Atari 8-bit computers. And I can even remember my dad playing on a little 24-inch television screen because the Atari computers could just connect to your TV, kind of like Commodore, the Commodore 64s could. Um, well, the VIC-20s could connect to, which was Commodore, those could connect to uh, to the TV screens as well. Anyway, I remember him playing some like Mount Everest game or like climbing Mount Everest. And it looked, I I just like, it's like burned into my mind because it looks so fantastic. I mean, granted it was only eight bit, but that's kind of one of the first things I remember. I remember him having uh, one of the old, old Apple laptops where it had like the dual disc drives and all that. I mean, like I, so I have a lot of like, even as a young person, I just remember seeing a ton of computers laying around. Uh, You know, my dad was one of those guys who, you know, seemed to just be born with the soldering iron in his hand. And, uh, you know, <laughs> I've often used him as an example because, uh, you know, he's still around. I mean, I, I often use him as an example of the fact that, yeah, lead poisoning might not be as serious as, as people want to claim because that guy ha- must have like <laughs> just snorted <laughs> or breathed in so much, you know, from from, you know, from solder, you know, breathed, breathed in so much lead. Uh, that, and if he's still kicking around, I mean, come on, how bad could it be? I'm being somewhat facetious, but you get my point. So anyway, uh, yeah, computers had always been around. The first computer I really remember ever messing with was a Commodore 64. I remember it being hooked up to our, uh, our GE, our general electric TV, which at the time that TV itself was 
probably on the order of 25 years old. It was, you know, one of those huge had the huge wooden cabinet around it and everything where the sound had monaural sound, but that monaural sound, that mono sound was phenomenal. Um, you know, and, and that TV lasts us forever. That TV was, was functioning like 40, 50 years into its life. I think at one point, maybe, maybe like the color tube or something had to be, had to be fixed, but just, just amazing. Um, Anyway, I had a Commodore 64. That's certainly what I messed with uh, quite a bit. And I had that Commodore 64 for some years after the fact, even after Commodore 64s were, I mean, there's, there's still like, I think we talked about this on Sovereign Tech. There's that, that garage, uh, you know, mechanic, you know, car garage, you know, repair shop garage for cars in Poland that is still using a Commodore 64 for, you know, its entire you know, digital infrastructure for what it does and records and everything really impressive. So <laughs> Commodore 64 is built like tanks. Uh, and I used them, you know, but well after they were out of Vogue, I mean, just like even when the Amigas were, you know, the Amiga 500s or whatever were the big deal. I mean, I still had my Commodore 64 and, uh, one of the really nice things is that Commodore did release kind of an official monitor for the Commodore 64, even though it was, um, Again, you could just one of the beauties of the Commodore was you could hook it up to just about anything and you would hook it up to, uh, you know, and everything was built right into the keyboard. Right. You could hook it up to the TV. Um, I had the Commodore 64 monitor and I used that. I mean, even in the aughts, like up until, well, you know, up pretty much up until the point that I went into the army, which would have been uh, 2002. I was use I was still using that monitor. Like I'd hook up my PlayStation to it and I'd run kind of the visualization uh when you play a CD in the PlayStation it had that awesome visualization software built into it. Uh or like kind of an Easter egg that a lot of people that had a PlayStation One, I don't even think they knew it could do that. Um I would still play on that because it had such a crisp, such a sharp screen uh for it. You know, even after the Commodore sixty four died, that screen was still rocking and oh I love that thing. So anyway, I mean, it was tiny, you know, not even maybe 18 inches, if that. I don't even think it was that. So the Commodore 64 used that pretty heavily. It was really big on that. Um, but the, the first computer that I can remember really, like, really doing something, like what made me really fall in love with computers was I had a, a 386SX, and this was, it was one that I, you know, had a hand in building, Okay. Um, my uncle who, uh, was, has worked in the computer field since the eighties. Um, he helped me put it together. He was working for a computer company at the time and, you know, it was just a project that we did. And, and I, I mean, I just, I love this thing. It had like the best, the, be- the best thing I remember about it. Okay. Was that on the right hand side to turn it on, it had this huge clunky power switch that you flicked up. I mean, and it made a tunk you know, when, when you, when you would flip it on and off, it was so cool. So my 386 was my baby running DOS. Uh, I remember when we first installed windows three, one on it, believe me before that there wasn't windows on it. We, it was just running DOS. And in many ways that was enough for me. Okay. Uh, but I remember when we put windows three, one on it and that's when it, at that time, I guess I would have been maybe about 11, something like that. And I wanted to like, as soon as I opened up, um, had WordPad on there, as soon as I opened up WordPad and I started writing, I wanted to write. I mean, I was already a very avid reader at that age. And I, so I always wanted to be an author. And this is the part of the story that people have heard a lot, but like what got me into computers, what got me hooked was the simple fact that I could write and I, and I could just like, I could write forever. 
you know, because you never ran out of paper. You just keep writing and writing and writing. Now I get the arguments against that, that, well, when you're writing on a computer screen, you know, kind of the words don't really exist in the world. Um, you know, when you'd write on a typewriter, as soon as you type the letter a, that a exists, it's in reality, <laughs> you know? Uh, and I mean, that's, that's kind of a romantic thing that a lot of writers and authors, you know, of years past like to talk about. Um, I love printing out my stuff. In fact, it was kind of a complex thing. Like I had to, um, I had a printer, but the printer wouldn't work within your windows wouldn't recognize it. And, you know, no matter what I did to the com ports and everything, it wouldn't recognize the printer. Uh, I had to actually transport kind of everything, all the text that I wrote in WordPad into the text editor of, uh, you know, of DOS. And then through DOS, I could print from that. So, I, you know, I, I got I tried to do best of both worlds. I, you know, I understood what, what these authors were saying when it doesn't exist in the real world. Well, I made it work in the real world. So writing was the really the like the first passion that I had for computing. Of course, also at that same time, uh, you know, my favorite show in the world. And of course, to this day, still my favorite franchise, still my favorite show in the world was Star Trek. Um, and probably what's still the best or at least two of the best because this had a sequel that was just as good the best star trek games to date and i i think that this is absolutely true uh was star trek the 25th anniversary and this game worked stunningly and it was only available for for pc and it worked great on a 386 um you can get these games on gog they are still totally worth playing especially the cd-rom versions because um, which by the way, my 386 didn't have a CD-ROM at first. <laughs> it's, it was, it was that long ago. Okay. But, uh, you know, the 25th anniversary of Star Trek, it was incredible. Um, I mean, in the CD-ROM version, you get the voices, William Shatner voiced it, all the original cast is there voicing it. I mean, it's like you're playing an actual, you know, multiple episodes cause that's how they formatted the game. Like you were playing episodes. So while I was in love with my Nintendo, the PC had Star Trek. And also it had Star Wars because then not much long after you would have uh, X-Wing Star Wars X-Wing would come out, which is also one of the best as well as its sequel, which is arguably the best game ever made just just across the board. Bar none. It's the best game ever made. Uh, that being Star Wars TIE Fighter, um, which came out in 94 or was it 93 or 94? I think 94. So uh, I had X-Wing. And so that's the thing is that the PC it allowed me to create worlds and more so than any other device or any other system. It allowed me to live and experience my favorite worlds that were already created. That being at the time, certainly Star Trek and Star Wars. Uh, so, you know, when, when you have that kind of power at your fingertips to create worlds and to visit the ones that you love, you get hooked. I mean, that's just it's, it's guaranteed, you know, to work out that way. And understand everything that I ju- that I've described so far pre-internet like I didn't there wasn't even a modem in this computer, you know, to, to connect with. Um, it wouldn't be long before I got a modem, but there wasn't one, you know, to be had. So after I had my 386 SX for about a year, uh, we did a major upgrade and I kept it in the same body. You know, this this huge case. I love this case. I, I wish I still had it. Uh, but we upgraded to a 486DX, which was, you know, kind of the most serious processor at the time. And with the 486, like whole new worlds opened up. And then we did, we put in the CD, you know, I got a CD-ROM, got a modem, the whole thing. Started playing Rise of the Triad over phone lines. 
<laughs> one of the best games ever. That, that was so much fun. Um, and then with the CD-ROM version, then I ended up playing TIE Fighter. Uh, and, you know, then you end up with Windows 95, not much longer after that. And Windows 95 really was, I mean, understand, that was a revolutionary operating system. Okay, argue about complain about it as much as you want. I mean, and I loved Windows 3.1. Windows 95 was absolutely revolutionary. I mean, this is a major event, you know, and I don't need to cover that right now, uh, but it was. So, you know, all was doing all of that and just having a great time with the PC. And I, I kind of skipped almost entire generations of like an entire generation of consoles because I was just so enamored um, with, you know, with everything that was happening on PC because I was able to do so much. It was just, it was incredible. Uh, so, you know, that, that was, and then the internet did come into play and my main place that I spent time on the internet was prodigy. I never did America online. Really. Uh, prodigy was the stuff and not just prodigy, but then also of course the World Wide web and, you know, spending a ton of time on IRC and all that. And, you know, it, it didn't take long after watching the movie hackers, which is total bullshit. I've talked about hackers many times on the show that look, that, that is not hacking. Okay. But still you, it gives you kind of the, 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 the mythos around, uh, around hacking. And so when, you know, when you're kind of inspired by that, yeah, you want to, you want to get into what is generally perceived as sort of the darker side of all this. And so, you know, you start to get into that after you've played so many games and you're writing and you're, you know, you're having such a great time and whatever. It's like, okay, so what else can this thing do? What can this box really do? And so as a teenager, yeah, I start to get into the cypherpunk communities and everything. And, you know, spending a lot of times on various forums, message, bo- message boards, IRC chat rooms and all this, all the stuff that wasn't happening on Prodigy. Didn't take long. Eventually, I ended up getting rid of Prodigy uh, in its entirety. And I went with actually a local company in New York called NTCNet was the name of the, of the uh, you know, ISP. And this was, again, no, no broadband. This is just, you know, good old fashioned 14.4, not even 28.8 for me at that time, 14.4K modems. Okay. And... That's sort of how I got into, you know, looking at, I mean, that's, that's when I first started hearing about Linux. That's when I first started hearing about, you know, BSD, uh, at the time BOS, BE, that's just BEOS. This was being seen as like, holy shit, this is the next evolution in computing. I got very excited about BOS. Um, I remember reading like, uh, wasn't well piece, I guess it would have been PC world at the time. And they started talking about Linux and you get demo discs where you could try it out. Uh, and uh, yeah, I mean that suddenly like computing itself became incredibly exciting because there was all these new, I mean like the idea of a new operating system outside of, you know, OS seven, I guess at the time it would eventually be OS eight for Mac and you know, whatever windows version you happen to be on the idea of exploring other operating systems was just an incredibly exciting prospect in the nineties. It really was. And then, you know, especially when you start hanging around online anyway, with the cypherpunk community and all the things that you can do when you get away from windows, holy shit, (laughs) you know, like this is, this is incredibly exciting to me. And so I started messing around with Linux and all that. And it got to the point where, you know, Linux wasn't exactly like the easiest thing to use, even though I'd continued to use it. Um, 
but it got to the point where I was like, you know, Windows really feels kind of stifling. Like, I, w- I want to get out of this. And and there was such, like, anti-Microsoft, because, you know, treating Microsoft like it's the evil empire or something, which Microsoft isn't that company anymore. We've talked about that. But anyway, you know, having that, that kind of anti-Microsoft attitude, my next computer, really after my 486, was uh, when the iMac was announced. When Steve Jobs came back and the iMac, the first iMac came out, I got the first generation iMac with that blue, you know, really, it's that, that's still such a cool looking computer. Uh, I don't think people give that enough credit for just how much that did for personal computing. Uh, yeah, I mean, and it was basic, you know, it's, I don't even, I think the model I had might have had 32 megabytes of RAM, megabytes, you know, now 32 gigs is a standard <laughs> of RAM, not megabytes. Uh, or maybe it had 64, or I think I upgraded it to 64 later. That was like one of the few things you could do is you could put more RAM inside one of those. Anyway, um, loved my iMac for a very long time. Uh, and that, in fact, that, that iMac, that original, I guess that would have been 97, 98 iMac still works to this day. Uh, and I ended up getting a job with the company called MoreTech. Uh, which was you know, which was a, a PC kind of repair service, and and it did other things. Um, that was my, you know kind of my first tech job that I would end, end up getting with that. Um, I would go into the military, where uh, I definitely got a lot more formal training on computing. Even though there wasn't much that they really taught me about shit, you know. I mean, when you're a teenager and you just have that passion for the technology, okay. Th- you know, and you get to actually mess with it. You get to actually have fun with the playground and like the whole family doesn't have to worry about getting access to the computer or something. You learn everything you'll ever need to know. You'll, you learn far more than you probably could even learn in a computer science class, you know, and that's really where like a lot of, and especially if you're hanging out like on cypherpunk forums in the late nineties, I mean, you're just, you're getting an education that is unmatched by any college that they, I mean, just they, you could never dream of, uh, you know, I wish I still had copies of all those forum posts and everything just because it was such an amazing, you know, I learned so much about everything, you know, even more so than just computing. But as far as computer, I mean, it, it, like I, I still, to this day, there's, you know, there's, there's certain uh, ways of thinking, certain little uh, rules, I guess I have in my head as far as computing and tech goes that stem completely from, you know, the mid to late nineties from these cypherpunk forums, uh, that are, that are still with me, you know, and, and a part of who I am, uh, that was just, that was tremendous, you know? So anyway, after, after working, you know, after doing the army, working with more tech and all that, um, I'd end up getting a couple of other tech jobs. I would end, uh, some of those I, I won't name here, but, uh, yeah. And I ended up working for a company that was really big on point of sale systems. But, you know, at that point, these were all running windows. I mean, these were full on computers that were being dealt with. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's that's my history with it. You know, it was I mean, I had and I, I've said this many times, like because a lot of people ask me, like, how do you know? How do you know all this? You know, how do you have the sense of history? Blah, blah, blah. I all I look, all, I don't other than the military, I never had a whole ton of formal training. Okay, or formal schooling on computer science and computing in general. I had the fortunates, and it, it's just pure happenstance that I grew up when a lot when the personal computer revolution was hitting full stride, when the internet revolution was just coming in for consumers, full stride. You know, we're talking like ninety six. You know, 90, 90, between like ninety four and ninety six around there. Um. 
you know, and I've said this many times, like the internet didn't become all pervasive until 2003. That's when suddenly like everybody was on the internet and everybody was talking about the internet. Um, before then, you know, it was still like the, the, the place for freaks and geeks to use a colloquialism. And I don't mean that in a derogatory fashion at all. In fact, quite the opposite. I mean, then the absolute positive. Um, I just grew up with these, I mean, like, you know, using IRC, that's all there was. That That's how you chatted with people. Um, BBS systems. I used BBS systems before I got on the internet. I, I totally skipped that. I love bulletin board systems. I used to, in fact, there used to be one in uh, upstate New York that I would use called Ray's BBS. I would play a game called Exitilus, E-X-I-T-I-L-U-S. You can look this up. This game's legendary. Okay, it's all all text-based, ASCII art, the whole thing, okay? Uh, and I just had tons of fun interacting, you know, doing multiplayer on that effectively with other people that, you know, that could connect to, like, you know, to raise BBS. Um, I mean, it's kind of turn-based, but anyway, you know, I, I just, these were, they were the technologies that existed. You didn't have a fucking option. You didn't have a choice. You, If you wanted to do it, you had to learn it. So that's, that's where a lot of my background, I mean, you know, now, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I have certifications, I've got all that stuff, whatever that that's great. Okay. (laughs) But, but that's all just validating what I learned in many ways, just as a teenager, you know, this is the power of just giving young people tools and letting them go to town with those tools. They'll figure it out and they'll do amazing things, you know? And, and so yeah, I mean, what's my history? Well, there it is. This is that's where I come from as far as my experiences with technology, how I got into technology, where my passion originally came from, um, and and I think a lot of that, a lot of those aspects of that passion can still be fostered, particularly like with operating systems, especially today. Today is a you know with kind of the it's not a nightmare scenario, but with what could be perceived as a dystopian scenario, where the PC is trying to get where people are trying to kill off the personal computer. Now's a great time to be really rebellious and start fucking around with a lot of the amazing alternative operating systems outside of the, you know, Windows, Mac paradigm. Uh, it's that it's that time again. You know, I mean, a lot of Linux distributions, you know, they all have the same tagline where they say make computing fun again. Fuck yeah. Or get you start using BSD or hell use FreeDOS. I love FreeDOS. You can, you can inspire that same excitement again. I know I've gotten the emails from parents into the show where they said, oh, yeah, I'm not even letting my kid use a GUI yet. You know, they're, <laughs> they're, they're just using the, you know, they're just using the command line. And, you know, they're, 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 they boot into Klee and they figure it out and they know exactly what to do. That is tremendous. That is going to stick with that kid. And like that kid is going to have such an upper hand over 99% of the planet because they understand the underlying core and code of what makes up our interconnected world today. That's phenomenal. And that's it. It's just, I was lucky enough to be born at a time and, you know, and yes, to have parents that had computers around the house all the time. So, so I had the technology around me and, uh, I had the free time and I was at the right time when a lot of this stuff was coming into fruition that, you know, the underlying stuff of what everything exists on top of today from Facebook to Twitter to, you know, virtual reality, whatever. So a lot of luck on my part, you know, I'm not, I mean, I'll take credit for some things. There's other things where it's like, yeah, it's just right place, right time. So that's my background, you know, with, with tech, uh, 
And anyway, I hope some of you found that to be somewhat interesting. If you're wondering where I come from, uh, that's it. I mean, when I, you know, when I give talks at events, um, when people, you know, when I'm, in fact, I'm going to be on, uh, a few podcasts here and other podcasts in the very near future, some of them very big. I mean, when they always ask me for an introduction, every single time I mentioned cypher, the, the cypherpunk community because that's where my real education was. Doesn't matter what others, what certifications I have today. Okay, doesn't matter you know what other what jobs I worked at, what tech companies, and what is big and small that I've worked at. Okay, that's that's where the education was was in the cypherpunk community. Uh, and so, you know, if you can emulate something like that, you know, with people you want to teach and whatever, I mean, that's exciting. I don't know how we could ever really get back to where people are so interested in kind of the core concepts of computing and the core technologies and the underlying technologies of computing so much. Maybe that's just where the college classroom comes in with computer science classes or something is, you know, as terrible as college is, <laughs> you know, the, the bulk of the school system that exists within the United States is so terrible. Uh you know, I don't know, but I can just say that like that, that was just an amazing time. Um, and I am so, so happy I was able to be a part of it because that allows me to do the show. I mean, that gives me my, that's, that's part of what gives me my background, uh, and my knowledge and whatever else to be able to do the show every single week, you know, and, and to talk with all of you as far as the tech stuff goes. Now, if you want to hear the history of, you know, anarchism and a lot of these other things that I often espouse, or science and whatever that'll have to be another story for another time anyway uh (laughs) all right that's it for this week i hope you enjoyed the show live live from a hotel room in new hampshire uh if you want to if you want to support the show of course please do become a patron got some exciting stuff going on for patreon in september specifically uh and which will carry on for every month from now on, but September is going to be a huge month for Patreon. So if you're not a patron yet, jump on it. Uh, really honored by all the new patrons that I've had recently. And whew, like I said, that's it for this week. I will see you on the other side. Oh yeah. Go to sovereigntech.com. That's where you can become a patron. Jeez. Anyway. Yeah. See you on the other side. just experienced Sovereign Tech. Go to SovereignTech.com, that's S-O-V-R-Y-N Tech.com, and connect with us there. Find links from today's show and catch our podcast feed. Sovereign Tech is copy heart. Copying art is an act of love, and love is not subject to law. So please, share the show however you like. Welcome to the evolution.